David Cronenberg and Paul Haggis made two films with the same title, yes. One had sex and fishes, while the other is about racism, I guess. Maybe you would like James Sayer, or for the likes of Brendan Fraser. What does everyone think of these movies? You'll have to listen and just wait and see. They're both called Crash. Yes, indeed, dear, on the Movie Club Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Movie Club Podcast. This is the show in which a rotating group of movie bloggers, fans, aficionados, we just pick a couple films, somewhat arbitrarily, I guess, and discuss them at length. Uh, This is episode 24. Uh, For this episode, we'll be discussing David Cronenberg's Crash, as well as Paul Haggis's Crash. Um, This show is very much like a book club. So, obviously, there's spoilers. It'd probably be who you to probably have seen both of the films we're discussing before listening to the show. So, definitely check out those films um, before you get in. We can be found at movieclubpodcast.com, and you can check the show notes there for time tracks uh, and skip ahead to the the next uh, review if, if you're so inclined. Um, so, I guess we will just kind of go around the table here the virtual room and introduce ourselves i am andrew james from row3.com and i am jim laskowski from directorsclubpodcast.com and i am kurt from row3.com and twitch film and i'm ryan mcneil from the matinee.ca and the matinee cast and there you have it um, I think we decided first that... Uh, so I mentioned we're going to do Cronenberg's Crash and Paul Haggis's Crash. thought we'd start out right away with uh, 1996, David Cronenberg's Crash. Um, now, we, we had decided this one on the last show. Do you guys remember... Oh, I guess it was me. I had put forth a list <laughs> of movies, and Sean said, I like the idea of doing a Crash Crash episode. Um, so I guess... The, the catalyst for choosing David Cronenberg's crash I, m- no particular reason I just have the DVD the Canadian DVD actually um, thank you to Ashley by the way if you're listening for giving me the DVD two years ago in Toronto uh, and I just got around to watching it so it was, it's just been sitting on my coffee table forever I'm severely lacking in my Cronenberg um knowledge so i put it forth and and sean said let's do it now is it literally sitting on your coffee tail and what does the cover look like (laughs) um it's kind of a i don't have it right in front of me i actually brought it to work today um but it's kind of dark blue and black i think james spader's face is on there and um and kara unger's face like it's just kind of a weird really dark drawing of the two of them um, when I popped in the DVD, and this is something we can bring up, I think, during the show. When I popped in the DVD, it gave me the option of the NC-17 or the R-rated version. So I don't know if that matters or not. But I remember Blockbuster had put out only the uh, R-rated version. Well, they never carried NC-17 films. Right. True. 
Um, I just remember the video cover art was completely different. Uh, yeah, when I searched for posters or DVD covers, there was several different choices as well. So, hmm. um, well, I guess what we can do here is just uh, again go around the table and and maybe just first impressions of the film. Was this the first time you saw it? Whatever. Like I I said, um, for me, this was a first time watch. I just had it for a long time. I've always kind of been interested. I saw a clip on cable, I think, like maybe like 10 years ago or something of the scene where James Spader is driving and the, the other two are getting it on in the back seat. And I remember just going, oh, this is weird. And, and then, but I don't want to watch a movie right in the middle. So I turned it off. Um, and that that's all I really knew about the film other than the, the synopsis. Um, which is essentially, I suppose I'll give that to, uh, it's a story about people that get off sexually on car crashes and car accidents. Um, and that's essentially what it's about. So I guess we'll just go around the table, and uh, what were your first impressions, Jim? Well, I'm a huge, huge fan of David Cronenberg. He's probably in my top ten fa- No, he definitely is in my top ten favorite directors, and... Um, I remember reading Ebert's review of Crash at the time when it first came out, and uh, it got me really excited and uh, saw it in the theater, which was a, a kind of a surreal experience. I mean, I remember uh, it, it was not, not, I think it was around the same time I had, I had seen um, David Lynch's Lost Highway with with the same group of friends, and we had a very interesting discussion about that film because we all had varying opinions on it. So we were all kind of just pumped to see, you know, Cronenberg's take on a J.G. Ballard novel, and I just, I just, I just remember there being, you know, quite a few walkouts, as you would expect, from um, a lot of people who felt uncomfortable, um, and then there were the, those those couple of lone guys there who were just a little creepy <laughs> in the theater, but as you know, I, obviously they didn't do anything. You know that was that disturbing, but um, yeah, me and my friends did not have the best reaction to the film at the time when we first saw it, and even recently when we uh, did uh, a, a, an episode on David Cronenberg for for Directors Club, pretty much the general consensus amongst uh, all three of us was that uh, Crash is one of the few Cronenberg films we we actively kind of dislike. So. Um, I, I've tried watching it at least three times now, and each time I'm just kind of perplexed by it a little bit. I, you know, we'll we'll get more into the uh, you know general opinions about it, but my my opinion over the three viewings has not changed much. So, all right, and Kurt, I, I didn't see this in the theater. I, I don't know why, uh, because I was uh, David. Cronenberg fan. I don't know if if it even played where I lived, um, and I don't know if I live just outside of Toronto on the east side of like just within the sort of city limits, but in a different town, like a suburb. And I really don't think the film played there. And I don't even know whether they distributed as an NC seventeen. Or uh, like what you know version because there's multiple versions. Um, but I do remember waiting for it to come out on VHS and and finally watching it um, at home. Like like 
you know, like a good pornography film should be watched uh, in post, um, you know, 1980. Uh, but my first experience to this movie was just absolute bafflement. I, I I had trouble with the way the movie was paced. I, I didn't even find it sexy. I, I mean, you, it's very obviously a Cronenberg movie, but I, I had a very like negative, disappointing reaction because I guess I had worked because it was so long before I finally got a chance to see it um, that I kind of worked up what the movie was in my in my mind and the movie that I saw was not that at all but over the years um, I've wa- I've probably seen it maybe six or seven times and it it's it's not my favorite Cronenberg film but it's in the definitely in the upper tier and uh, I, I've learned to really love this movie um, and, and I sort of got past my initial reaction interesting Mr. McNeil uh, I actually just watched this for the first time tonight, thanks to Mr. Halfyard, uh, because strangely, well, first of all, strangely, I hadn't seen it, even though uh, we covered Cronenberg on my uh, my homage to Jim's podcast, the uh, the Film Locker, with my friend Simon in, in London. Uh, we did an episode on Cronenberg back this summer, and this was one that I couldn't track down at the time. Um, so I, I watched it just mere hours ago. Um, and it was uh, also just kind of a side tangent. It was actually also the first film I watched uh, on uh, Netflix on my iPhone. So that was that was kind of strange because I'm watching Crash, and every once in a while, my wife is kind of bobbing back and forth in my eye line, like in the next room. So it's 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 a little unnerving to kind of be watching a movie like that that way. And she <laughs> just kind of timed it just so, um, which was neither here nor there. But anyway. Um, uh, yeah, so so I watched this one today. I I really liked it actually, which I didn't really expect. I thought I think just because of the order that I've seen Cronenberg's films in, um, this this one I, I guess I watched it in the right placement in the scheme of things and the right mindset of my film literacy and uh, and I and I uh, yeah I enjoyed it for watching a movie on my phone. Awesome! I watch movies on my phone all the time. Um, I guess I want to start off asking, uh, I mentioned on my DVD, it asks right away, NC-17 or R-rated version? I I just, naturally, I just picked NC-17. I figure there's going to be more there. It might be, I don't know how much more. I don't ten know if minutes. it's more raunchy. Oh, it is 10 minutes. 10 minutes, and I assume that there's about 10 minutes of pubic hair in this film, and I, I just would imagine that's the actual dividing line of what, Women's pubic hair pretty much makes a movie NC-17. Okay. Well, almost immediately, I don't even know why, I I realized I wish I'd chose the R version. Um, I'm kind of with on the side of Jim here. I I don't I didn't hate the movie at all. Um, I don't actively dislike it. I just had a real hard time getting into it. Um, I also found the pacing strangely odd i don't like the way the characters speak to each other the the style of the all the acting um which is clearly a director's uh like a director choice or control exactly so um no i i wasn't really a big fan of that now i guess i can see kurt's angle that maybe like it's an acquired taste it it would take a few viewings but i'm not sure i can i could bother with watching it too many more times in a row 
Well, I don't believe the sex scenes are ever designed to be sexy. I, I, I don't think that... I think the, the sex scenes are interesting, but they're not erotic. Uh, I, 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 I don't know. I, I've not... Uh, we talked about this before the show started that there is a David Cronenberg commentary for the film but it's only available on the Laserdisc uh, version um, or maybe it's on some other DVD it's certainly I had watched the same DVD that you have Andrew where it asks you at the beginning it's a fairly old DVD edition of the film um, but uh, I I think that the scenes are purposely not supposed to be sexy because the characters are not actually they're trying to get off, but they're the, the, it, it, at no point ever in the movie is it enough. I think that's kind of the the point of the movie is that it, it's just they're, they're not quite there. They're trying to find this high, this this sexual ultimate sexual experience, and they're not finding it. And somehow, I think it's kind of an interesting act by the director to make sure that you're this sort of voyeur watching, but it, it's not terribly. I don't feel exceptionally turned on watching this movie. I feel uncomfortable. Right, and I, I did too. I think that's part of the point. I, you're right, it's not erotic. It's very... I think the word I used when I was watching it last night was, it's greasy. It's <laughs> it's it's skanky, kind of. Um, in a... In just an uncomfortable way. I'm not not turned on at all by it. I think part you, of that might be... You didn't watch this one backwards. on the bus, did you? No, not this one. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I think part of that might be just the the actors that he got to to play it. I mean, it's nobody really exceptionally good looking, at least in my opinion. Um, and I've always thought, especially around this time, that James Spader was just kind of a a sleazy, creepy guy. Um, and he's obviously pretty much the main character of this film and. It it holds true with Crash. He's just, I I don't really want to touch him with a ten foot pole, and I think that's a big part of it. I think he automatically ups the creep factor on on any film by a factor of five. Like I think of him in something like Secretary, mm-hmm. right? Or Sex Lies and Videotape, or yeah. um, Two Days in the Valley. Just any of the anything Stargate, yeah, anything pre ninety five, pretty much. He was yeah, just that was a his thing. Creepy, weird guy. But Dara, Deborah Kara Unger is, I think, a very exotic looking woman. She often appears in horror films um, or really strange noir. Like she's like a very interesting femme fatale kind of look to her, and I really like her in the film and she's kind of the the last one to join the the club uh she's kind of off to the side but she gets that absolutely fantastic intro where the camera it's in like an airplane hangar and it's all these pristine polished airplanes and the camera is on a crane and it, it kind of dekes through all these slick polished planes to come up with her leaning over and sort of hugging the front of the fuselage or the cockpit I guess is probably the right phrase um, as she's being uh, um, serviced orally by some character that you ne- that never comes back into the film uh, as she's sort of cheating on well it's not really cheating they seem to have this relationship oh. where they 
they both go off and have sexual encounters, bring them back to their own bed and see if that helps them. So, you know, right off the bat, um, you know that these two characters are not sexually satisfied in any way. Their sex is very, um, it's very soft and, and, and kind of boring. Like, they're, they're, they're bored people, don't you think? Yeah, I still I still laugh at one of the prolonged scenes they have together in bed where she's using clinical terms like penis and anus. <laughs> you know, I was just like, you know, do you want to put your penis inside of his penis and ejaculate? I just I don't know. I find that I find it ridiculous. I mean, I've I've actually read the book. Um I I remember reading it after I saw the movie to sort of get because I was as much as I didn't like the movie or the experience of watching the movie. I thought the ideas were really interesting. Um, so I wanted to see how they translated to, you know, to text. And I know that J.G. Ballard is a, you know, a, a beloved writer and people, you know, put him in, you know, very high regard. And I've read like three of his novels and I've liked them all, including this one. Because I, I, again, I think it's another case of a book being better than a film and this is kind of an unfilmable book. And, you know, if, if I think about what Cronenberg did with Naked Lunch and sort of give it this whole new spin that's kind of made it, you know, a little bit more profound, but also just the idea of taking the William S. Burroughs character and inserting him into his own adaptation was just kind of a cool idea. Whereas this adaptation is just kind of boring. I mean, you know, I, it sort of needs less of the sex, I think. I mean, there's, there's more char- there's characters like Elias Coteus who, you know, basically spells out the themes to the audience and I, I don't know. I, 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 that, I always find that to be something in, in movies that kind of bugs me. But See, I think a film as weird as this needs that. Maybe. Maybe. The, the, the funny thing, though, Jim, is uh, that, that sex scene that you mentioned that is just ridiculous really uh, you know what it reminded me of did uh you and andrew did you guys uh, i know you're you're doing um soderberg for the next director's club uh podcast did you did either or both of you watch schizopolis yet oh yeah that's, oh yeah that's a good oh, yeah. point no that's a good point it's, it reminded me of those scenes where where he comes yeah. home and it, generic greeting generic yeah. greeting return it was <laughs> that kind of absurdity of the way she was talking of like there is there is not a there is not a stuck up person in the world where this is their version of dirty talk at all. Right, and I realize that in the real world, that most well, I would hope that the majority of people don't get off on actual car crashes. Well, there's um, that too. Yeah, but, but but just if you're gonna if you're gonna get like some sort of an absurd way of of you know dirty talk in bed, it's just going absolutely uh, what's the word I'm looking for anatomic. <laughs> you know, with, yeah. with, the, with your with your with your word choices, that's uh, that's certainly something different. Well, before we get too far astray, I wanted to go back to the um, what you mentioned with David Cronenberg and uh, J.G. Ballard um, and the Naked Lunch in the Crash book, which I've not read. Um, does the main character's name James Ballard, or is that just something that he did? Cheekily, no. His name, his name in the book is is James Ballard, but you know it's told in first person, and it's almost like reading the journal of kind of like a deranged philosopher who's trying to understand 
his own sexuality and its relation to how we're hardwired hard, hard to technology and almost as if we're like getting off on the idea of a car being this you know device that we're transfixed by and how he's sort of tying that in thematically in the book um there's and the, the explicit descriptions of the sex is is even more crazy in the book i mean like i i haven't read it in a few years so i can't like give a specific example of it but i just remember like oh i i can't imagine this shit being in a movie um and so i mean in that regard i think cronenberg actually you know had a very tame approach and obviously there's only so much you can get away with on screen but he he gets away with a lot i think um Definitely. Uh, I mean, there are eleven sex scenes in this movie, which it, I, I can't think of too many films that would be put out in a you know an art even an art house theater that has that volume of individual sex scenes. I mean, if you look at the movie, it's almost structured like a porno, like around those. Sure. But but then it's got the the car crashes on on top of the sex and. Uh, very curiously, almost every sex scene in the entire movie, including the oral sex at the beginning in the in the hangar, um, it's always from behind, and almost all of the car crashes in the movie, with the exception of the um, the James Dean crash and the uh, the f- uh, initial crash where James Spader crashes into Helen Hunt, it's like that's bumping from behind, like where the cars are kind of you know doing doing the same thing. I I, I like that there are. A number of interesting I mean like the thesis is pretty obvious but they Cronenberg has a really good way of doing all of these things to make it you know just underscore um, and and position people in the same way I, I I think the movie is supposed to be disconnected and edited weird because the characters are disconnected and you know even when they form their little crash reenactment club and do that even then they're completely in their own space which is kind of the same thing of you know when you're in your own little car and you're you're in your own little world or whatever there's i think there's a there's just a as a structural sense and i guess this is why i start to really love crash is that from a it was really well thought out and he doesn't do it with editing or um Dialogue. He does it with actual images, and even the, the 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 camera work itself is probably the most sophisticated David Cronenberg movie. There's lots of like in car cameras, lots of big crane shots, and lots of weird like up high. The, all those shots on the apartment where you can see the uh, intersection of the 401 and the and the 400, the the big Canadian highways in Toronto. Um, it, it's it's very elegantly shot, and it's shot in a way that no other movie I can think of is shot, which kind of makes it awesome, because how many movies can you say are unique in that? Because people copy. No one really ever came back and copied Crash. It's a one-of-a-kind movie. I wonder why. It's, you <laughs> well, know, it's, it's interesting when you put it in context of there are 11 sex scenes in this movie. I think that was like one of the problems I had, not with the sex, but the fact that it was just like, all right, here we go. Here's another yeah. fucking sex scene, and it's going to be eight minutes long. And aside from one or two that are interesting, like the one you mentioned, most of them are just a sex scene. And it's 
I just found it really tedious after a while, and and like, and it's supposed to be because they can't get themselves off. Yeah, and and that's not that great as a viewer, I don't think. Like there, there's not much of a plot here. There's not even that much character development. It's just sort of going through the motions of let's do something extreme and then have sex. Let's do something extreme and then have sex. Let's do something extreme. And that's all it was over and over again. There are things in this movie I liked, and I, I can get to those. But just overall, the whole thing for me was pretty boring and tedious and repetitive. But that's know. one of the that's one of the things that comes back down to like sexual addiction though, right? Is the idea is that you keep raising the stakes higher and higher and getting something darker, more dangerous, kinkier, what have you, you know, until you just you can't get enough and you're you've gone over to a full extreme and that's kind of what they're doing, you know. At first they're they're doing it you know, like like just on a car, then they're doing it in the car, then they're crashing the car, then you know, she's fully injured after a car and it's how far do you go? Do you both have to be laying there broken and bloodied before you're finally going to get off? And it's got that parallel to how far do you have to go if you're a sexual addict? Because most of these people, they sort of seem to be sexual addicts. Uh, and, and and that's the thing. How far do you have to go until you can finally get off in that cold, strictly sexual, not at all about intimacy uh, way? Well, and the final shot, it ceases to be about sex. The final shot is, like, sex is just something to fill the space until they can properly kill each other with their cars. I mean, that's Sorry, what... I'm, I'm, g- I'm giggling at the way of saying sex is a way to fill the space. Like, well, oh, yeah. It's, 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 uh, <laughs> thank you for that. Um, but, thank uh, you. Yeah, uh, they definitely have a death wish. Oh, yeah, shit. Like, Elias Coteas's character. I mean, obviously they're reenacting. I, I, let, let's get into this because I think it's really interesting. Um, the celebrity angle of the movie. Um, mm-hmm. About three years ago, at the Art Gallery of Ontario, um, there was an Andy Warhol exhibit, but it wasn't the um, like it wasn't like the soup cans and a lot of the like sort of really known Warhol stuff. It, it was it was an entire. Um, art gallery of Andy Warhol's take on celebrity and it was curated and put together and everything by David Cronenberg um, and I was at the launch of it where he gave a maybe uh, an hour lecture where he had every almost every piece in the collection just on like uh, PowerPoint I guess and and he talked about each piece and and a, a lot of it was car like car crash like a car crash victims and then a lot of just like um uh what's i i i am thinking Troy McClure but that's the Simpsons version um <laughs> whatever the uh, whatever the real life uh Tony uh or is Tony Robbins name? no no the guy from Saturday Night Live Troy. no like just sort of these fake like even in the 50s fake put together uh, uh you know beach bunny kind of Celebrities or or whatnot, and and I found I mean this is well after Crash, but then it I immediately when he was giving this talk, all I could think of was Crash because of like the the best written dialogue or monologue uh, in the movie is Elias Codeus's. Uh, speech of the James Dean, like lovingly going over every detail before they put on this performance art of da- James Dean's 
fatal crash. So it, and and the final line is when you know when he when he died, he became immortal or whatever. In in that the actual act of this instantaneous destruction uh, made him a bigger celebrity than if he maybe had worked uh, ten years. And then the the next crash that they're going to that they were planning on doing it actually happens in the movie just not with Elias Cody as it happens with his buddy going off off to the side is the uh, the Jane's Jane Mansfield car crash where she I don't know if she was driving or not but she was in the car with her family and they rammed a uh, from behind a uh, like a like a tractor trailer and they didn't have guards so the car went right under the tractor trailer and I mean the there was always this thing that she was decapitated. I don't think she was actually decapitated, but either way, the kids lived in the back, and her and her boyfriend, husband, whatever at the time, uh, were like instantly annihilated. Well, she um, was scalped, wasn't she? Yes, she was scalped. And then the, the in Crash, you you actually see, um, I guess the character's name is like Seagrave or something like that. His like you see the wig splattered on the side of the car and and that and and they oh he went and did the mansfield crash um and it and it just seems like imagine if crash came out in 98 instead of 96 which would have been like 5 months after the lady die crash oh, <laughs> there was no there was no mention of uh the grace kelly crash we, like there's just an interesting collection of celebrity car crashes and they only go into two of them i don't know maybe in the book um i've heard in the book that he's stalking Elizabeth Taylor to kill her in a car crash? Is that something they didn't bring into the film? I don't hmm. know if you remember, Jim. Or I don't no, know. I don't. Uh, not, not necessarily. It's, it's, it's funny, though, the, like, the, the, way, the, the way you're recapping that, the, the, this whole collection, it's, it's kind of reminiscent of, I don't know if you remember um, Tobey Maguire's character in Wonder Boys. Yeah. But it's this whole, like, monologue about all the celebrity deaths and he sort of repeats them back in this robotic fashion and it's he, I just remember that whole thing being like wow it's pretty fucked up how you know celebrities have died in these horrific ways and the the, the vast amount is is really disturbing and it's equally <laughs> fucked up that he knows them all and he can yeah. rhyme them off like the fact that uh that Vaughn, that the Elias Koteas character knows this thing down to the last detail. That's pretty screwed up as well. Uh, and then what's what's the line like? You know, when he's he's they're driving away after the, after the performance, and he turns to uh, to to Helen, the Holly Hunter character. He goes, and with that, he was immortal. Was that too glib? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's just him getting off on his own awesomeness, yeah. right? Yeah. Like that's his. Yeah. Uh, did, I, did I get that? I want you to, 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 to stroke my ego, so I'm going to play this fake modesty or whatever. That was my, uh, that was my <laughs> take on that. Because Codius's character is an absolute brute of a human being in this movie. He's, he's just a... Like he, first off, he's a pretty ugly man. Um, yeah. Already. And they make him, like, with his close cropped hair and the balding and and he uh, um and just the clothing that he's wearing and that the car that he's driving is actually um the same model that JFK was assassinated in they have a little bit about that as well in in, in the film which is interesting uh but yeah you don't he doesn't strike you as the type of character that would feel or regret or or really want to go back over something <laughs> like he was um 
but but he has this awesome like it, it's totally uh goofy it's one of those great like um uh stoner lines uh in the movie uh, i i think i i, I have well, since we haven't heard it did i don't know if you opened the show with his line or not andrew um, uh, no, I, it's uh, Jim's song is in the opening bit there. Um, uh, uh, let me see if I can find. Let me see if I can actually. Uh, oh yeah, here it is. Um, it's uh, there's a benevolent psychopathology that beckons us towards the car crash, uh, which is a fertilizing event rather than a destructive event, a liberation of sexual energy mediating the sexuality of those who have died with an intensity that's an impossible in any other form to experience that to relive that that's my project and then immediately after this sort of really sort of, sort of you know, here's your movie in one <laughs> in one line of dialogue they go back to something that he was talking about before about what about the reshaping of the human body by modern technology and then he says oh that's just a a crude, crude sci-fi concept, which is hilarious because that line is completely dismissive of the last ten years of David Cronenberg's <laughs> filmography in a single line, and also dismissive of the first half of the film. But it, but it also finally says that um, at one point, I don't believe that that crude sci-fi concept that Vaughn felt that way. It's just that he did all that. You know, with uh, Rosanna Arquette's character and and the the awesome like I don't know recovery thing that James Spader has on his leg after his car crash, uh, yeah. the, the sort of like man machine cyborg thing, and and it's like well that wasn't enough, so we got to go to the next level, and the next level is to actually be a like you know mangled in a, in a car death or whatever, which he eventually gets his wish in the film. The, yeah, the issue I I mainly have with this movie, it's just not fun i mean i'm not i'm not expect like I, because even with something like videodrome which is you know sort of like this you know grandiose you know science fiction body modification snm meets television sort of you know uh bold statement about you know humanity and and all that like that's cronenberg style but i think you know, even existence, it's a goofy movie. It's, it's, it's a lot more fun, you know, even when he's got like these sly commentaries on either video games or television and, you know, it's in here. I've, you know, I know it's, it's, it, it's more in the book, but it's less in the movie. Like just because the movie is wall to wall sex scenes and all the sex scenes are very cold and clinical you know, it's just not interesting to watch after a while. You sort of become numb from the whole experience. And I and I know it's kind of like, you know, the idea is these characters want to reinvent the ideas of sex and death, collide them together. And But, you know, at the same time, if the characters are disconnected and just obsessed with their fetishes, it's there needs to be more there other than Elias Cotea spouting off his ideas, you know. I mean, for for me to sort of get any sense of you know desire to want to rewatch this or get more out of it uh i mean i know cronenberg because i only heard like a few minutes of his commentary he sort of wanted this to be a cautionary tale of sorts you know like about what sort of, uh, well the sort of state state like we're, we're we're doomed to like have real a, a lack of interpersonal interactions 
and he you know he's almost concerned at the same time he embraces technology and he's he has this feeling of and I know he brought it up in the uh, Videodrome commentary that yeah yeah at the at at one point I I feel like I'm obviously utilizing technology but I'm also concerned about what it's doing to our humanity if it's going to isolate us if it's just going to completely leave us you know inhuman to some degree and this movie is an experience of people not you know showing any sort of humanity or taking the romance out of sex and after a while it's it's just kind of like robotic yeah 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 you I know mean, maybe that's just to reflect the character's state of mind but yeah don't the characters to you seem like they're all drugged they all mm-hmm. they well they're all numb it's the sex addict like this... ryan mentioned it earlier i think he nailed it and it's that detachment sex addict aspect i'm sure that is completely intentional the only one that really shows like a real like uh, animal nature where where he's really going is is Vaughn because Vaughn actually is the guy that that sees the future he knows what he needs to get whereas the rest of the characters Roseanne Arquette Holly Hunter Deborah Carr James Spader they they don't know what they want they in fact I think they all latch on to Vaughn because he is yeah. kind of like the messiah he's the religious figure that's going to lead them to the next state of existence and uh um and and in the end he, I think he he um he might he goes too far for them but his death actually allows them to now take that path like I mean the the best sex scene in the film is when uh, Elias Kodeas has sex with Deborah Kerr Unger in the back of the car and it's in the car wash. And yeah. it's, it's, it's constantly like them having sex and it's very violent and then all of the suds and fluids yeah. and technology and everything of that. Like that is, there's a lot of, I think every one of the sex scenes has interesting images in it, but that's the one where everything comes together and like that's the, the ideal of what the uh, the film was capable of merging, um, and it, oddly enough, it like sex-wise, it's the probably the um, you know other than the fact that he's fairly violent. I mean, he leaves bruises all over her body. But I, I mean, at this point, you've you've gotten well past just rough sex, so it's almost quaint that it goes backwards. But it becomes the best sex scene, like the best realized sex scene, the most interesting, the most compelling, the most dare I say the most erotic sex scene in the movie um, for me that's what uh, uh, I really like that scene and I, I think it 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 stands uh, head and shoulders above all of the other ones now, you know what's actually crazy about that scene uh, since you bring it up is as I say I was since I was watching this movie on the on my phone I was using my, my big doofy headphones with it and that scene sounds amazing the actual like the 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 way they've mixed the sound to get that that car wash kind of thumping pounding sound which of course lines up with the two of them going at it uh it's it's incredible and the the other thing that sounds awesome in this movie is anytime vaughn's car is around because you've got that that kind of camaro low rumble carburetor sound yeah yeah those those moments cronenberg's movies are deceptively well mixed when it comes to sound and and just in those two moments and especially through headphones i was just like jeez this is gorgeous yeah, and, of course, and, of course, and of course you get sorry just just to finish off that scene you also get that great visual of uh 
of like her like high heel foot just knocking down the armrest just to kind of put an exclamation point on what's going on. Yeah, no, no definitely. Yeah. Well, while we're on the sound, the, the the actual score of this film is really good. I no, mean, I, I think Cronenberg has used the same. He's a Canadian musician, Howard Shore. I mean, he's done every, all sorts of stuff. I think he did the Lord of the Rings movies, but um, but. Uh, this is a really good score. The actual score is this. It's funny because when we get to Paul Haggis's crash, the, the the scores are similar in that they're both kind of atonal, non-musical soundtracks. And uh, I guess when you're making a movie with the title "Crash," you're going to go with that. But <laughs> I, I I really do like all of the sort of peripheral stuff. The score, the opening title sequence with the score is really good. It it maybe get you more pumped for the movie than than the than the movie settles in a a much more drier pace but uh the it's a great combo it's very it's very technology driven and uh yeah it's it's one of howard's scores probably one of his best scores uh, it 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 really struck me as as being something special when i watched it this time all right um Anything else? Well, I was gonna, not not to get too far off on a tangent because I know that Jim and Andrew, you guys haven't seen it yet, but uh, I'll be curious to hear what you both think in a few weeks uh, when you get to see Shame. Yeah, what what you, what you think of how Crash and Shame relate to one another? Because there there's threads that I can see in both, but again, I'm not going to go too far down that road because it's it's pointless to talk about it if you haven't seen it. But I will be interested to hear it, it's. It, that's one of the recent films I've seen that that I got elements from in Crash. I, I got probably because I'm just thinking Cars. I got little traces of Drive in this movie. No, yes, I'm, I'm crazy. Uh, just the just I mean, the like, Cars. It might, it might have just been aesthetically, to be honest. Well, okay. Here's here's one of the problems I had with this movie. You mentioned that um, you know it's there's sort of it's sort of along the same parallel lines as like a as a drug user. Um, yeah. You got to keep upping it to to get your high, to get your fill, or whatever. And I I never thought that the movie really did that. I thought it was a pretty straight line. Like it seemed like all of the car stuff. It never really amped up to eleven. It never built to anything. It just felt kind of like the same speed throughout the well, entire. Movie. That sex scene with Rosanna Arquette is pretty. <laughs> Uh, disgusting and disturbing. You mean the wound fucking? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's the moment in the theater. I just like we turn into one. Did he just fuck her in the scar? That's <laughs> awesome. That was awesome. That was Cronenberg well, total. Like I loved yeah. all the scars, all the makeup that went into this. I mean, it was it was very like very rubbery, kind of like <laughs> Videodrome is, but Extra still is that all very the way. very yeah. sickly looking. And I I loved all that. I. You know, the minute you see Elias Coteus and he's already got scars, like right away, like you identify this character as somebody who's been there and who's in the world already. Um, and it just builds up to that really awesome James Dean recreation scene. Like with that, when that, at that point of the movie, I said, okay, this is going to be, this movie just got awesome. That whole sequence is amazing. I love the monologue. Um, and the detail that went into recreating it and the viciousness of 
the whole thing. And then you've got the audience sitting aside and you get all their reaction shots and whatever. Like, sorry, I know you just talked about this, but for me, that was the high point of the movie. And I was like, this is a great concept. Run with this. And then, as you mentioned, they don't really. They go back and just kind of do what they were doing. The whole celebrity thing is kind of done away with. I, I, they, they talk about Jane Mansfield crash and it, and it comes back as somebody else did it on the side we didn't get to see it or anything like I thought that concept was great but no it just kind of turns into them I think there's three sequences in the movie of him just sort of driving behind Kara Deborah Kara Unger and like barely bumping her and just kind of swerving around and it at first I'm like okay this is going to be an intense cool scene much like Drive like you mentioned like that was the only drive vibe I got and then nothing really ever comes of it they stop in a gas station and pull away that happens like three times or he corners him in that that dark like impound lot or whatever and crashes into him but it's like very lightly and just kind of it was like foreplay or something that never really went anywhere see, I th- see for, I this pe- really... for these people I gotta wonder if like the gas station is their safe word yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> and by the way if you're gonna have a stunt driver that looks nothing like your main actor, you need to turn the camera angle down a little bit or, or shoot it from behind or something. That was ridiculous. The mm. That was so clearly not Elias Coteus following her uh, in that one sequence where he was in that big <laughs> silver car. I would just I know movies do that all the time, and it's a nitpick, well, it, but I was like, come on. It's funny because some of the earlier shots in the movie, again, because he's got that convertible Lincoln, um, and the, you've got these three-quarter shots of the camera like planted in the car with them, and they're really good, and it clearly is him. Like, there's, mm-hmm. yeah, you're that right. That was part it of the problem, seems, though. But, yeah. I thought that was part of the problem because they kept cutting to his face, and it was clearly him driving, not with a... I don't know what you call it, like a, with a compositing a, a screen in the background. It was clearly him driving. Then they'd cut away to, to like, they'd zoom out, and it clearly wasn't him. So it made it even worse that you see his face really clearly, and then they zoom out, and it's a completely different guy. Again, in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't really matter, but it definitely, like, was distracting me. It took me out of it a little bit. Well, the one thing, I, the, sorry, well, the one thing I will say that it that was distracting, um, and I, I went through this actually with a lot of Cronenberg's movies. Um, my office is very much in Cronenberg's neighborhood. He tends to shoot in the same sort of area of Toronto, like the the fly is set in this area and Videodrome is set in this area, and so I, I kept getting taken out of the film because I knew the neighborhoods and I knew the roads they were driving on that moment you were talking about with the gas station it actually kind of makes me laugh because they're driving along in this, in just east of the downtown core and when they pull into that gas station they are miles away I, I know exactly where that gas, <laughs> gas station is because I grew up in that neighborhood I was like you just drove across town in the, in the kind of a scene. So that that unfortunately kept distracting me out of it. I was playing the, hey, I know where that is game. That um, area where the uh, uh, gardener turns into the Don Valley Parkway and splits off to Lakeshore to go to the yeah. beaches. Like, Toronto filmmakers love that love stack it. of roads. I mean, that scene, um, it's funny because this movie reminds me a lot of, for whatever reason, in tone, in style, in pace, as uh, Adam Agoyan's one year later movie um, 
the sweet hereafter which is yeah. centers around a car accident and also is shot a, a number of scenes and it also has an awesome car wash sequence like it opens with a great uh, Ian Holm stuck in a car wash uh, which is a great you know his metaphor blah blah mm-hmm. blah but they there's a scene where his daughter calls him and asks for money and it's there's it's a mirrored shot of like within crash of that the camera planted like he probably like planted his tripod right down in the same divots left over from probably. from the other one and it's but but I I mean there Toronto has that raised highway that goes through it and I mean it's what uh Elias Codius eventually crashes his car off of I think yeah. um and it, he, Cronenberg gets a lot of really great shots and he gets a lot of great shots of real traffic like you were saying that they don't up the bar in terms of speed but the road like I don't think you need to do this like um, Bullet or or Ronin or Fast and the Furious or whatever because the roads are just inherently dangerous of themselves like there's a scene where he just uh, moves slightly out of his lane and has to recorrect. He doesn't actually crash the car. He just knocks off the side view mirror the first time he has Helen Hunt in the car with him. And that scene is more dangerous than most car chase movies. Like there's a real sense of um, there's a real sense of danger. And he always has the roads and the cars looking like parts of the roads are like wounds. Like the the, the one thing that I truly love aesthetically about this movie is the the overhead shots from James Spader's apartments where all the roads look like human anatomy and the cars are like little white and red blood cells racing and moving around they look like high school 16 millimeter films of of veins and shit and and I really think that he just I I don't know if the book would ever be capable of giving you the image that he provides, the imagery, and, and that's what really steps this up for me. I could, I could sense that a little bit. Like, there there are things about this movie that I really really respond to, including the cinematography, the score. I mean, it could also just be, again, you know, my own personal biases having read the book, where in the movie there's just a lot that was downplayed including you know how the role of technology is um he, like ballard is very paranoid he's he's he he it sort of infuses that into the, into the lead character a bit more effectively than james spader does um where he's just i mean i i almost wonder if it would have been an interesting choice to have elias coteas as the main character in this movie, because in a, in, a, in some way, like I, I at least by reading the book, it it does feel more like from his perspective, like there's a lot more philosophizing about things, and I'm not saying that you know I wanted to see more of that in the movie because it's sort of jarring to experience like these really detached characters, and then all of a sudden Elias Coteus is you know I mean I guess that's sort of the point too he do, he has to play the role of the messiah. The, the guy who has all the answers or at least the idea of you know this recreation that seems really um, <laughs> arousing for, for everybody involved but I just I mean it, again with the book telling you about it is one thing and showing it is completely different and um, other than like some elements within the movie that Cronenberg always brings to all of his movies including we mentioned the focus on, on scars 
Um, I just, it, it, it could just be a, the fundamental basic feeling I get from the movie. I'm just numb. And I don't, I don't find it a fun experience to revisit this movie in the same way I would with uh, Videodrome or, or The Fly or Existence. And I'm not saying that every single Cronenberg movie has to have the same result, but um, I just have a preference for, for his other films over this one. Well, if Videodrome was the film that really maybe got him out of – because for years, David Cronenberg was considered just the absolute, like, trash meister. <laughs> like, he was the, – the, the, there was actually a whole movement in the Canadian newspapers and that because there were, a lot of his films were in the, these tax loopholes, so they were getting tons of public money. But Videodrome seemed to be the movie that got him serious, like, credibility. And then if you look at the – the films that he made. So he went to the States for a while and did a couple of commercial films. And then he came back um, and started making things like Dead Ringers and Naked Lunch and, and Butterfly and then eventually Crash. And you can see that Crash is kind of the, 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 the long upward mobility within world film circles. And I mean, Crash made some major waves at, uh, at the Cannes Film Festival. Uh, it won. Sure. I don't think it won the Palme d'Or, but it won a major prize, and it was like almost like that. Something I think it won for, for and like, his, yeah. yeah. And his films started to get um, less genre-y and mm-hmm. more like really arty. And then Crash kind of was the wall. After Crash, he made uh, Exodus Ends, which is kind of like a remake of throwback of Videodrome, yeah. just with uh, gaming technology instead of. Uh, instead of cable technology and what a missed opportunity um i mean i love willem dafoe and he's great in x descends as gaz the the guy who who installs in a garage like a, a like a black market gaming port wouldn't it have been a great cameo to have elias Coteus in the uh james dean mechanic costume <laughs> in there it would have been a nice little weird connective moment um in the movie but uh i guess uh, it was not meant to be. Um. <laughs> no, I definitely like where Cronenberg has gone since this film. I mean, even with something like Spider, I know a lot of people don't have a a, a positive response to that film. Like, a lot of people sort of feel that movie is way too uh, detached and also has kind of a, a pull-you-under-the-rug sort of ending, although... To me, that that is a very again effective portrayal of mental illness. To where, again, I think of uh, of clean shaven or a Lodge Kerr- Kerrigan portrayal of you really get inside the character's head to where it's jarring and and uh, completely <laughs> like you you just don't know how to respond to what the character is doing in that movie and whether or not it's really happened or if it's all in his head. And that's sort of has been played to death in a lot of movies, but Cronenberg's approach to that I find really interesting. But again, for for this, like it's it's more interesting to read about than to watch, or at least with with the sex scenes, they just I don't know, they just there's there's too much of that and not enough characterization. Like I, I don't understand the motivation other than you know them. They just want to get off, and that's that, and that's just you know there's not nothing more to it than that i mean there's a lot more to elias Coteus's character and i i like that component in the movie but overall it's not enough to really carry it for me 
Well, I find the most transgressive thing in the movie, and I guess it's been done in other films, but for some reason it's just the the speed and the way it's handled in this film is that, um, you know, he has the car crash with Helen Hunt and okay, her husband. It's, it's Holly Hunter, Hunter, by the way. <laughs> sorry, have I said Helen Hunt more than once? Yes. yes. Holly Hunter, sorry. Absolute apologies. That's bizarre. But it is completely in the names, not in the... In the Holly Hunter and her husband. Her husband goes right through the windshield. It's a pretty, like, it's a scary sequence that's really done well. But he immediately fucks the widow of the man that he's just murdered in a way. And I, I find that to be the, the actually the most transgressive thing uh, in the movie. It just struck me as, like, wow, like this just went there in, in, a, in a span of about, 15 minutes of screen time uh, and then they they kind of um, dump uh, Holly Hunter's character off to the side and uh, she's never really she's not really all that important are you saying are you saying they leave her on the side of the road they leave her on the side of the road why did I not come up with that thank you for that <laughs> a really quick aside I just really um, I just I, re- I rewatched Death Proof and there's oh, a moment yeah. And there's a moment uh, with Michael Park's character talking about, like, I have a theory about why this guy does what he does. I think it's some sort of sick sex thing. <laughs> and he's like, all the blood and the glass. I think he gets off on it. So I'm just like, oh, well, that's that's an appropriate time for me to rewatch Death Proof, I guess, if it's going to tie it to that. But there obviously you know, that's a crash, you know, Cronenberg yeah, reference no, in Tarantino. No, there's, Hey, hey, Scorsese put this in his top ten of the decade, for crying out loud. There are a lot of people who can get behind this movie. Um, well, because I, I think it mercilessly fucks with film grammar. I think if you're like a film structure nerd, Crash is interesting in in a in so many ways. Because it really is... like In the same way, actually, that Scorsese's... Um, what's the one he did with Nicolas Cage? Um, bringing out the dead. Bringing out the dead. The, that movie fucks with you and your interest and your ability to stay engaged with the movie very, very, very similarly to Cronenberg's Crash. Well, I don't think there's a payoff for me to get fucked with with this movie. <laughs> Other than, like, you know, realizing, oh, they just want to die? Okay, that's that. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's definitely more going on than just, you know, them having a death wish in the end. I mean, maybe they realize we're never really going to be completely satisfied and it turns into like this existential romance of sorts, but um, it's not enough for me to get invested in, in you know, and I, I've tried. This is a movie that I, because I'm such a huge Cronenberg fan, I probably will rewatch this in a year. I'm just not excited about it. <laughs> Ditto. Any, uh, any final words? Then on on Haggis Crash or sorry Cronin Crash, that'd be a great name for a band. <laughs> yeah, it would. Yeah. All right. Um, does anyone feel the need to dish out star ratings or anything? <laughs> for, for for me, it's like a three out of five. I, like I, I enjoyed it. I, as I said, I, I liked a lot about it. Uh, it's it's not my favorite Cronenberg by a long shot, but I, like it sounds like behind, right behind Kurt, I enjoyed it the most here. 
Yeah, I'm pretty close to a five out of five. I, I but so I feel baffling. that way about almost every film <laughs> that the guy has ever made. And while yeah, it, it's it, I, I agree that it's a film that you you really respect more than you love. But I'm I'm okay. completely on board with that. I can sense that. I mean, again, I I think it's an interesting film, and I like the ideas presented especially in the book but for me it's not that exciting to watch i'm i'm going to give it a 2 out of 5 I'd, for me i'd be at one and a half i think Ooh. so yeah i just it's not compelling um to well, me at all i guess and and the thing is i guess that's fitting is because this this is a movie about people's twisted view of sex and you know if there's two things sex and comedy that that what's what's what turns one person's crank does not turn the other person's crank so if what you're saying is it doesn't do it for you that makes complete sense yeah and maybe i'm offended that he takes the fun out of sex come on (laughs) it's not cool all right. Well, do you think? Uh, I mean, this this film had a lot of controversy when it came out. Do you think that the controversy is well founded? Like the, the the actual the controversy was not so much on the sex; it was the juxtaposing sex and violence so mm. closely. Um, I see that doesn't bother me in the slightest, and in many ways, it makes it actually easier, um, not harder because you don't really treat any of these people as real people they are they're almost robots in and of themselves but yeah, I mean, it, it's, it, it's, it caused a lot of controversy when it came out it's yeah. just a different... we, we, could, we could probably be talking for like another hour about that i think the kind of people who are offended about this kind of movie are the people who get offended just when they hear the concept of a film it's the right. kind of people who you know they're they're not like anybody on this recording they're, they're just going to write a film off when you give them that one line of well it's a film where a guy goes and does serbian porn you know and then start filling it in and just not give it a chance those kind of people they're always going to be offended yep you got it i mean it's not it's it's cleaner even than something like a sadomasochistic like it's like think about the gimp sequence in pulp fiction i mean it's it's the equivalent of that except with cars with 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 (laughs) mechanical like the characters don't even touch each other in some in a lot of the film the the getting off is not even that intimate it's it's separated Yeah, and And even with something like Secretary, you know, which James Spader was in, wasn't that kind of about fetishes? And I I think that James Spader's fetish in that was Maggie Gyllenhaal's ass or something. Like, I just, I just remember that. Like, that movie to me was at least fun to watch with, with Maggie Gyllenhaal's sort of go for broke kind of performance and her interest in, uh, you know, S and M, I guess. Uh, that that to me was a little bit more playful, and Crash is sort of like the antithesis of that. But I just remember finding parallels, at least not necessarily in the way James Spader um, acts in that movie, because it's completely different than Crash. But again, it's that it's an it's not necessarily just about their individual fetishes, but um, they they're longing to connect in some you know, meaningful way. And eventually they sort of come to terms with each other. And I think, I think that's a little bit more, I don't know, kind of a, you know, a nicer redeeming version of, of, of crash where it's like, Oh, you know, I, I, that's kind of how I feel. At least there's hope, <laughs> but crash yes, just yeah. doesn't leave me with that at all. So your, your message to David Cronenberg is 
lighten the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> well, he kind of has. I mean, he's gotten a little bit more. I don't, I don't know if I wouldn't say conventional because he still has his, you know, moments of graphic violence. Especially, you know, oh, in the opening scene of Eastern Promises, I kind of know this is a Cronenberg movie. Um, and there's certainly moments in history of violence where, you know, the violence is emphasized in a very Cronenbergian fashion. But I, I, I like where he's going, and I'm actually very excited to see Dangerous Method, although I hear it's he's Not very good. Very good. Yeah, I've, I haven't heard good things. Now, the last thing I wanted to say is, has anyone seen... Fast Company. It's actually one of the few Cronenberg films that I've not seen, and it's a auto racing movie. Yeah, I know. I it's need a to hard see movie it. to find. Um, I have, I have, I have a friend who is not a fan, so I don't. I, I, he didn't like give a specific review about uh, of it, but he didn't think it was very good. So, but I, I do want to see it because it is also one of the few Cronenberg movies I haven't seen. Okay. Okay. On that note, I think we can move ahead. All right, before we move on to Haggis Crash, I, I would I would like to say I wish that Marina could have made it. She, at the last minute, um, all her internet went down in her house thanks to some security guy in there messing with their stuff. Um, but it, it would have been interesting to see the uh, have the female perspective on Crash since it's all very sexual and you know sadom. Sadomass and stuff. I'd be, I'd be curious to see what her thoughts are, and the Canadian dick sucking too. Um, that would be, that would be important too. So, well, this is the first time no that offense. it is. This is the first movie club podcast ever that has not been a Canadian majority. Yeah, Ooh. right. Half and half, fifty-fifty. Mm-hmm. Um, but both filmmakers are Canadian. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, I didn't realize Haggis was. Um, Haggis was Canadian, that's right, or is Canadian. Um, and I guess, and one other thing is Jim and Ryan are new to the show. You guys have never been on the movie club, so that's awesome. Originally, that was the whole plan of the movie club. Like, that was the idea, is constantly rotating people, changing it up all the time. Some people would bow out and come back in. I think it sort of fell by the wayside, because Sean really was the only one with recording capabilities for a while, and then it fell to me. But I don't know. You guys, I know, can record, obviously. So. Oh, definitely. In so. fact, I'm 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 honored to be on the Movie Club podcast because, I, and I'm also grateful that you guys haven't sued me for borrowing the format. Basically, <laughs> I mean, as I've said many a times with you know our show, the Directors Club, it's a lot of it has to do with my enthusiasm for you know everybody's shows in the in, in the community here with um, everybody in movie club i've you know i've been a big fan so it, you know it's it's great to you know <laughs> partake and be a part awesome awesome and we are a fan of the directors club as well and there is an insane amount of toronto film bloggers like Ryan and I last night were at we we have a monthly meetup in a bar and we had like half of the basement of that bar at one point with a crowd of people and I, and I mean I, I'm, I'm happy to, to bring uh, I mean Ryan's been on our show you've been on, we've both been on Ryan's show but it, it's nice to tap into um, sort of all the expertise and, 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 and knowledge just in like my corner of the woods here so uh, 
yeah, it's great to have uh, you on the show, Ryan. Well, it's, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm kind of a whore behind a mic and <laughs> not not ashamed of it. But uh, you know, I, I I certainly love listening to you guys uh, talk on your own show and always jump at a chance to to do some something else that I don't have to do the heavy lifting. That's for damn sure. Like you were talking, it's kind of funny. You're talking about having it as a rotating people coming in and out, and that is very much the the style of my show. I I. I struggle to get people back just because I find more and more people that I want to get on there. And it's just, uh, you know, the, the, the unfortunate side effect that I didn't count on is I end up building a rapport with a person either by knowing them personally like Kurt or by, you know, something like you, Andrew, where I lob you like an email every other day uh, that goes back and forth from the office. And then I don't have them back on the show to, to take advantage of that chemistry. I want to throw a big shout out too to um, Alicia uh, Sean from Film Junk. His wife is about should be having her baby any time now. I think that's most of the motivation of uh, yeah. of, um, of Sean's last minute unavailability. <laughs> yeah, this is the first time. Well, you were mentioning before we even started recording. A, it's the first time no Film Junk guys have been on this on this show, and B, this is the first time where all the participants of the discussion are not they're all in their own homes we're all skyping in separately so it's not a an actual table we're usually you go over to sean's right yeah there's three of us are usually at at sean's place and and sean actually just moved to like five minutes away from from me like he he lives just up the street now uh, instead of all the way over in thorold but it is the perfect all of us being in our own separate bubbles is the absolute perfect way for us to record on Paul Haggis's crash because it's the opening fucking like the the thesis Don Cheadle just drops the yep. by the way my movie's about this I'm just gonna just tell you right in the <laughs> opening line what the movie is about uh, Sigh. Okay, so here we go. <laughs> I think I'm prepared. I think I'm prepared for the onslaught here. Um, I chose Crash, uh, Haggis Crash, for the for the movie club, mainly for two reasons. Well, th- three reasons. One, um, we've been trying to get Kurt to watch it for like four years. Uh, ever you know, ever since we started talking, you gotta you gotta see Crash. You gotta see Crash. We know you're gonna hate it, but you gotta watch it. Two. Um, on the on the on row three, one of our contributors, Rot, wrote a, a rewatched and reconsidered post, is what he called it, and where he watched Crash, and it became, I don't know if it's still the number one, but it's in the top like three most commented uh, posts ever on row three. Like it got to like three hundred comments or something. Because like that. he liked it the second time, right. he liked it a fair bit. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Um, so that was the third, and and. And then the third reason is uh, I was quite sure that nobody... Like, the hate for this movie that's out there is astounding to me. Um, I'm a fan, and I wanted to... Except for it's see if best I could o- hold my own best Os- Best Picture Oscar and a 76% you know, Metacritic Rotten Tomatoes thing. So, I mean, clearly a lot of people like the movie. It's just the internet hates Crash. <laughs> the internet hates Crash. And I guess that's a good place to start, actually. Um, well, maybe we'll go around and just do initial impressions. But is the hate for the movie a big part of it? Because I, I, I just don't see it. Like, if you don't like the movie, that's fine. And I'm sure there's reasons why you don't like it. The, the, the all-out hatred, like, this movie is absolutely terrible, 
that it honestly baffles me. And I want, and I'm just curious if part of that is because it won Best Picture, and people just look at it and go, "That is ridiculous." Like Munich, Good Night and Good Luck, Brokeback Mountain, all were yeah. more deserving than Crash, which is a fair argument. But you know, you got. I think you should judge the film on its own merits too, not just you know what did it, what did the fucking Academy think of it? I, I don't. I don't know. I think it's weird. But anyway, we'll, I, that's a good place to get into it. But maybe we'll go around the table. Um, initial impressions. Was this your first time? What was your first experience? Um, for me, like I said, I, I've seen the movie five or six times. I really like the movie. I remember when it won the Best Picture. And I was surprised and super excited. Like, I was happy that it won because I think it's awesome. And um, so I've seen it a bunch of times. But I rewatched it last night. And it was the first time I watched it on Blu-ray. And um, first of all, it looks awesome because it's on Blu-ray, but it's like one of the very first Blu-ray, I think, because I went to special features, and the only special features on the Blu-ray are, uh, or at least the version I have, is trailers, so some other movies that are out, I don't remember what, and then a how-to guide on how to like navigate around the DVD with your remote <laughs> control. It was offensive. I was Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's one movie. To, that's one reason to hate the movie right there. I just want. Are you kidding me? Yeah, I know to push left and right to. So even to, the to, DVD explains everything. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so anyway, I am I am prepared for the onslaught. I I'm curious what you guys think. Uh, we should uh, go around the table, Jim. Sure. How'd it go uh, for you? You know the the first time I saw Crash, I guess it was before all the Academy Award hype you know, had taken place and I didn't hate it entirely. I, there were things about it I liked and, you know, it definitely brought to mind Magnolia and that's a film I adore and I love kind of soap operatic melodrama and, you know, there was just, again, like the, the characters, you, you know, even on the first time I watched it just didn't feel real to me. They didn't feel like they were three dimensional. They felt calculated in the same way some of the uh, the, the contrivances within the plot felt calculated, and um, it it felt like a movie that was just preaching in a way that I didn't find interesting. And you know, when I first saw it, I was I I, I talked about it with quite a few people. And the majority of everyone I talked to, whether they were you know f- film buffs or not, just thought, you know what, it wasn't anything spectacular. It wasn't anything that we haven't seen before. It, it didn't really bring anything thing new to the table in terms of the issues it's trying to raise. I mean, if anything, I guess you could say that it, it sort of deals with racism in, in a post-9-11 environment that we all live in today, but the way it approaches that uh, felt very heavy-handed and it was a movie that at the time I would say is you know for me maybe a, a three out of five and upon you know a th- again this is a, a movie I've seen three times I I've, I find it less and less interesting every time and sort of find more things about it that I I don't enjoy and it could be just a general statement that I should bring up it's, and we'll probably bring this up um, again when we talk about uh, Soderbergh, but I'm not. I'm becoming less and less of a fan of the multi-character sort of shortcuts approach to storytelling. 
um, it's it's something that may, actually makes me want to rewatch films like Babel and Syriana as well. But um, I, I become invested maybe in one storyline, and then we immediately cut to a different storyline, and characters never get equal screen time to become fully developed, and that's something that I'm wondering why I'm having that reaction to now as opposed to, like, on a first viewing. But uh, Crash is a movie that I don't entirely hate because there are things about it I, I find, you know, interesting to watch, including a couple of performances. Matt Dillon is really good. Uh, I don't know. I mean, again, I like the overall, uh, you know, s- style of a movie like this. It's just I don't think it's put together very well. I just don't think it's... You know, a movie that you have to entirely connect with because there's nothing there. <laughs> I mean, there there's certainly moments where I'm I'm you know kind of into it, but for for like like I said, it's not something we haven't seen before either. All right, Hatter. Well, for I saw this movie in a theater when it came out, so I guess that would be like early summer of 05 I, I went and saw it um, and uh, at the time I, I liked it well enough I, I, I wasn't praising it to the heavens I, I certainly wasn't pissing all over it um, I, the answer to your question as to its uh, general loathing by much of the internet um, yes absolutely positively its best picture win is the lightning rod for that uh, because it's as I said. While I while I think it it was good enough when I saw it the first time, and, and to certain degrees, it is a good film. Um, in that particular year, it was it was not the best film. Actually, of the five, it was the least deserving because you had a class of Munich Capote, Brokeback Mountain, and um, what I actually thought was the best film of the decade, Good Night and Good Luck. I agree. So among those five, it was no, not not at all. And because of that, because it it got acclaimed with that award, it just it just became a great big bullseye for everybody to say what the hell is is with this movie. Um, can we? My, sorry, go ahead. Can we make a precedent then for that? This discussion will take that element off the table. I mean, you can sure. talk about it, but as far as like reviewing the actual movie, I think we should just dismiss the Oscar win and yeah, that's talk that, about that, it for that, what it yeah. is. Yeah, you're right. That and and, as this, and that's and that that's all I'm going to say about that yeah. because it, Oscar does weird things anyway, and I can never begin to understand why they they award who they award. I usually I'm only fascinated with who they nominate, and that's the end for me because it's it's about just kind of grouping things. So you know, was it one of the five best pictures that year? Maybe I, I know I certainly can't say definitely positively not. So I, I have no problem with that when you put it to the top of the class. So yeah, that's that's the end of that conversation. Um, where I, I rewatched it this week for this show, and it was, I think, only the second, maybe third time I'd seen it, um, and certainly the first time I'd seen it in a good four or five years, and it, it, it does not feel the same way for me that it did the first time I saw it, so it might be that my taste has changed uh, in, in four or five years, which is probably a pretty safe assessment. What I look at it now, actually, and it's not a bad thing, I kind of actually, and I could be getting myself in trouble with this, but I I drop it into the same category as The Blind Side, as a movie that is not necessarily bad, 
but to to people who who watch movies the way we watch movies it's not what we're drawn to it's more for a specific audience i actually see it as the kind of movie my my parents would like um, you know, or you know, or that kind of thing. It's it's a it's a movie for a certain type of audience, and, and that's that's not a bad thing. It's 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 certainly telling a story to people who might not see this story if it was artier or something like that. So, it's it's not it, it's not great, but it's not terrible either. And un- but unfortunately, my my take on it has changed since I saw it the first time. I'm less of a fan now. Halfyard. Well, as you know, this was the first time um, that I watched the movie. My first encounter with the movie, though, was when it played at the Toronto International Film Festival in 2004. Um, I remember reading the uh, description in the guidebook and going, wow, that's a pretty loaded cast with interesting actors. And because, uh, I, I mean, Don Cheadle, I don't know how big Don Cheadle was in 05, but like he, you know, he produced it. And like the, there was a mention of his involvement in, in the book. And I, and I kind of almost threw it into my TIFF schedule for that year. But for whatever reason, I didn't. Um, maybe it conflicted or whatever. But I do remember in the film festival crowd so maybe this counters what Ryan just said or not but in the film festival crowd I remembered a lot of people talking about it in a positive way um, then I saw Million Dollar Baby <laughs> and that movie won the Academy Award for its year it also won the Screenplay Award for Paul Haggis and I personally believe that uh, and we had we talked about this on the Cinecast last night when we were talking about Clint Eastwood. I believe that actually Clint Eastwood directed the shit out of Million Dollar Baby, uh, but the screenplay is one of the most obviously blunt screenplays ever written, with some really ugly caricatures. Like the uh, Hillary Swank's White Trash Family is just brutally written, and um, and then Clint Eastwood quoting Yates. I, I have a thing with that already uh there's just so many buttons that 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 paul haggis pushes for me i mean sure he wrote casino royale which is a great fucking bond film but he was one writer of like 40 (laughs) so it's really hard to say whereas things like million dollar baby and and certainly crash it's very clearly his voice um very clearly like he's he's an auteur screenwriter in the worst possible way if you don't like that style um so, and then there was like all of this talk on the periphery, and people like you, you know, if you're a, f- a film guy or gal, and you you encounter a lot of people that now because it won the Academy Award they watched it, or maybe someone recommended to them. And this movie did have a lot of word of mouth around people that don't see films a lot. So you have a dozen people come up and say, "Oh yeah, I watched Crash," and I'm like, I "Haven't seen Crash," and like how could you not have watched this movie you watch everything and i'm like i'm like do we i'm I'm not gonna go there because our friendship or this encounter will get really awkward really fast if i just you know you just don't i I wouldn't unload to the average person like i would unload to to a film enthusiast right so it just became something that just sits there like a wet blanket and move on and then it becomes this well should i watch it just so i can bitch about it or you know, or maybe oh God forbid, like Titanic. I, for whatever reason, I didn't watch Titanic theatrically. It took me years before I bothered because it How looked did like that a, the worst fucking wow. 
Irwin Allen with a much bigger budget and 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 and, and less fun. That was my impression of what Titanic was. <laughs> I don't know, but anyway, you were the only one. Kind of liked Titanic when I finally watched it, and that was to my eternal shame. But um, Titanic but, is great. Sorry, keep. But started. anyway, anyway, um, when I watch Crash, I, I must admit I can think of two films, well at least one, possibly two films that are very similar to Crash, uh, that multi or that really strong racial or even the post 9-11 or the extreme tragedy mixed all together with emotion and whatever that are worse than Crash. So, you know, finally getting to it, it, it I certainly uh, wasn't a big fan of the movie, but it, it's far away from, like it is actually technically a pretty good movie. Like it's, it's well edited, it's well shot, it's blah, blah, blah. But I, 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 do, I cannot get by a movie that tells me everything. All these characters don't talk to each other. They talk to fucking you, the audience member. It's it's really really frustrating um, on that level. But the two that I can think of that are worse than Crash are um, Revolutionary Road. It not Revolutionary oh, Road. Reservation, no, Reservation Road. Road. The one with Mark Ruffalo and Jennifer Connelly. And um, nothing is nothing is private. AKA Towelhead, the Alan Ball movie that stars. Aaron Eckhart and Tony Collette, and the uh, one of the guys from Six Feet Under. Uh, it, that movie makes Crash look look like fucking Citizen, Citizen Kane. Kane. Um, so, but when you someone mentioned shortcuts and someone mentioned Magnolia, which clearly that L.A. melting pot kind of thing is is at play here. I mean, if you put Crash into that box, it is for me way down the list like I'm ashamed to even mention it in the sentence because those movies actually even though um, uh, Magnolia or Shortcuts um, Magnolia they're both big on melodrama um, oh yeah but the, 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 the characters you still get at the humanity of the characters I don't there are human like Instances in Crash. There's moments in Crash, but for the most part, I, I really found that, um, you know, on first viewing, that the characters and their little turnabouts. Everyone has this very clockwork-like mechanical turnabout. Like you get the good side, you get the bad side, um, and and that just fucking pissed me off. Okay, uh, let's see where to begin. I a, c- a couple of the issues that Jim mentioned, like, uh, well. First of all, like the structure of the film, this the multiple characters, the different threads, all sort of crashing together, if you will. That se- I, 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 when you say like I've seen it three or four times and it, it gets less interesting each time, yeah. Um, I can see that partly because, um, I feel like that was kind of a trend in the in the mid '90s. Like, I mean, it's not like it was brand new. Other films obviously had done it before, but through the mid-90s up until the early 2000s, there were a ton of movies that did that. Like, a right. bunch of high-profile casts, sh- short little melodramatic intervals or whatever that sort of Pulp intertwine with each other. That. Pulp Fiction that's does it. probably the Pulp Fiction Shortcuts, effect, Magnolia, and like 1114, and all these, all these movies like this. So, sort of seeing it now, um, what is it? Seven years later... Like you're kind of like, oh, been there, done that. Um, 
it, it probably becomes less interesting. And I also think one of the things about the movie, which we can get into later, are, are some of the really more like emotional, impactful scenes. And once you've experienced those once or twice, they become less impactful and emotional um, Definitely. upon subsequent viewings too. So I totally, I can see... And, and you know what? I even admit that myself. I still love the movie, but those scenes don't hit me as hard as they did that first time um, seven years ago. So I think, you know, just by the way that cinema or film, the, the history of the story of cinema has gone in the last ten years, it kind of dates itself that way. Um, but let's, we should, I think the obvious thing here to talk about um, is, is, is the screenplay. Um, the dialogue. The way people interact with each other. Uh, I know that a huge complaint is, like Kurt said, everybody, nobody talks to each other. They're talking to the camera. Like, it's really shrill. Uh, Jim, you said heavy-handed. It's very um, preachy. And I actually... I actually don't use any of those words to describe this movie. Um, Because I, I don't think... I think it's like talking in parables. It's not really... It's not really trying to tell anything new because I think that the message, like, I don't think it's a message movie. The movie is so obvious and so blunt that it isn't a message movie. It's not preaching at you. It's just giving you entertaining stories where this is the message that happens to be the the vehicle to get there. Um, so when, when people say it's really preachy, I just kind of say, well, only if you want it to be. I it's just so obvious that it's preachy that it's not preachy if that makes any sense see what gets me about that there there's something that that kurt says on your show every once in a while of it's not the band i hate it's their fans um and in some way you know i I mentioned that people like like our my my parents would probably like this kind of movie there are a whole other subgroup that likes this movie that likes to be able to point to it and say see i understood that and i understood why race relations are tense and i understand why racism is bad so i'm a good person and it's and meanwhile they'll go on and they'll carry on about their white bread life and and you know, not take anything that this obvious story told into their actual lives. So that's the thing. Like, yeah, the story's a little obvious and it talks at you more than it talks to you. But it's the way that some people have taken that like message. Like the high and, road kind of? Yeah. Like yeah, high like, horse or whatever? Yeah. Yeah, very uh, much. Totally. And, and it's, 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 that, uh, it's, it's an unfortunate link um, that, that I just I can't seem to shake. Where where a movie like this, or you know, kind of, I mentioned it earlier, The Blind Side, those kind of movies, and the the kind of conversations like soccer moms have uh, while they're oh, buying yeah. Whole Foods, um, that 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 bothers me, and and unfortunately, the the film bears the brunt. Don't you think? At least from my perspective, though, I I find it very actually refreshing because I don't think that in films very often people talk like this like I, I feel like they skirt the issue in most films like this is extremely they do it in the Ides of March a like, movie that came out recently yeah. that I didn't like at all because if they don't talk this badly thing. in the Ides of March come on <laughs> <laughs> like do. it's so it's so blunt and so 
not politically correct that I, I actually find it really refreshing. I can't think of many movies that, yeah, yeah, it's harsh and, like, heavy-handed and maybe over the top, but that's exactly what I like about it. Like, the scenes, any scene where Ludacris is just, that's the guy's name, uh, is, he's a rapper or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, anytime, he's like, good. He's, he's good, too. I, I, I like him in this movie, his, and I like him as an actor. His scenes, right. when he just goes off on those diatribes, it's damn near Tarantino-esque dialogue. Some of it is really funny and really but that smart. That pissed and really me off. Snappy. That's what pissed me off. Like right, that whole sequence where they're in that like posh. I don't know. I don't know L.A. So I, what, whatever neighborhood they're in, it's yeah. pretty posh. It's pretty like J. Crew kind of thing, and they're dressed like college kids or whatever. Whatever. I don't know. They're they're, they're not they're not in gangbanger clothing, um, and they're having this really sort of meta conversation about, you know, like, why is it that white woman crossed the street, or, you know, was it, he's got this thing, and then and then they fucking suit up and rob the car. Like, that just undermines... Like, that's not fucking funny. That's, and, and again, if, again really? it, it makes it very difficult to... Yeah. It, it makes it very difficult to say, well, wait a minute, everything about this movie is being very serious and very earnest and very preachy, and, and yet you have that little cute thing I, I maybe a good a better filmmaker could balance that but it feel it felt like completely undermining it's like that what, and scream or something yeah it it it, it, it or, or fucking boondock saints or something i don't know like it just feels so cheesy derivative and and genre film ish no and but maybe did, isn't the maybe whole movie... paul haggis would be better served making those types of films than trying to make the earnest like I, I guarantee you because he says uh, Paul Haggis says well I made Crash because I had my Porsche stolen or whatever when I was not in my neighborhood and you know I wanted to understand this he he clearly goes at this that it was a a big sort of um, you know what's wrong with us as a society it's an issue film whatever uh, not a genre film and then he does shit like that 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 ain't that ain't fucking cool. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, that's one of the things I like. Like the whole movie is kind of a contradiction of itself on many levels. It it's telling you one thing, but then so many of the characters actually live up to their prejudicial stereotypes um, that it's kind of interesting that way. Like it, it kind of loops around on each character loops around on themselves. Yeah, they learn a lesson at the end. They all whatever, but the stereotypes that are involved at least with these characters in this movie are all there for a reason and i i disagree i that opening sequence with the two guys when they jack the car i thought it was kind of funny and kind See, of a neat clever twist i was like oh of course okay funny if this was a european movie if this was like michael henneke or lars von trier or fucking john luc godard i mean if it was like a french film i i don't know where I would stand on that because that sort of sensibility but the fact that it's a very earnest American film even though it is a Canadian filmmaker um, it, it, maybe there's just something about that American earnestness that just drives the film in the wrong direction for me and and I don't know I, I would love to see Lars von Trier's version well actually I have, it's called Dogville <laughs> And it's a much better movie, uh, but oh, God. I just, 
yeah, that that scene is is more interesting. Crucial that that scene that you just talked about it, that with the ludicrous and and Lawrence Tate that 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 scene already put me on the the wrong foot. <laughs> like really. Well, yeah, I I will see your disdain for uh, for Ludacris and his, and his friend, and I will raise you the two most annoying and miscast white people they could find in Brendan Fraser and Sandra Bullock. Sandra Bullock, especially, who I you know she does not have to play romantic comedy roles forever and ever, Amen, or the lovelorn woman waiting by her mystical mailbox. If she wants to do drama, by all means, let her do some drama. But my God, was she shrill and annoying in this movie. And I did not care that she had just been jacked uh, at all. And I, and, I, and just, you know, I'm, I'm sure that a lot of this stuff, it would have played better. I This is kind of where I, I fault Haggis's direction because I have a hard time believing that she would be screaming what she's screaming at the top of her lungs with the locksmith in full earshot. I, I got to wonder if that, um, you know, like we've all had those kind of arguments where you don't want somebody to hear your argument. You're kind of like, you know, you're like, Andrew, you know, we really shouldn't have gone that turn. I don't know why the fuck you don't listen to me sometimes. You know, it's that kind of argument. On the page, I'm looking at this and I'm thinking this is a whispered argument maybe and he just happens to overhear it. That was the most insane scene and that was the kind of thing that when I watched the film again that really really rubbed me the wrong way interesting I think she's awesome in this movie up until <laughs> this point I think this is like her best performance but ever. do you actually buy that uh, like because she gets the least amount of screen time she's arguably the most like bankable star in the movie um, and she gets the least amount of screen time in the movie and uh, do you really buy that scene with her maid at the end? Like, I don't buy almost any resolution of any character, but I found that one to actually be the least plausible. Uh, I mean, as as a bit of irony, it's kind of fine, but as an emotional beat, which I believe that was the intent, uh, I don't think it actually works. I don't buy that a woman with her status couldn't find somebody who would help her. Like, like I've just fallen down the stairs. With the amount of people she knows, you're trying to tell me that the only person who would care enough to help her is the maid. I don't buy that for a second. Well, I'll be honest. I don't really buy any of the characters yeah. in this. Yeah, I see what so you're saying. So I, I don't, I, right. I don't completely agree with that. I, I mean, I get what you're saying. Maybe this one just felt – there is one scene for me as well that I just don't, I don't connect with. I find it frustrating and I don't like it. But I, I think the whole movie is full of – no pun intended, ludicrousness. Um, like You've been I, holding on to that one. I don't think Impossible. any of it is realistic. I don't think any of it is supposed to really ring true. Again, it's sort of like fables and parables that are being told with these... But doesn't that sort of undermine the issue at hand? You know, I mean... I, no, because again, I don't think... I, it's hard for me to explain. I don't think there's an... How do I say issue is so obvious that there is no issue. It's just it's just characters that are interesting then you follow their story and watch where they go and um, watch them redeem or not redeem themselves and see their story and adventure. I don't I don't 
I'm not getting any message out of okay. it because the message with, is so obvious. With, with with that in mind, though, the, the whole Sandra Bullock can't find somebody to help her. That's the bridge too far. Everything else, just you know, plausibility, implausibility. I, I'm okay. I'm in. That's the one where it's like, mm, no, sorry, you spent that dollar too many. No, fair enough. Or even when Matt Dillon is uh, talking with the um, healthcare or social worker, just that interaction. I mean, I how can he even imagine that he's going to be able to get results or get what he wants from that sort of confrontational attitude he has towards her? I mean, I, I realize that it's, you know, that how he's going to be in general is foreshadowed when, you know, like he's talking on the phone to her and everything and she hangs up on him. But then just that face-to-face interaction and then when he tries to be nice – um, to me, that's doesn't. I mean, I think he's excellent in the movie. I tend to like Matt Dillon in most things, but uh, I I still find most of the individual scenes like that to ring false. Even in trying to, you know, be dramatic in in ways that you know gets you involved in the story. I I just I I find it. I, I find myself really responding negatively to certain moments that you know i'm obviously in in something like magnolia <laughs> there are tons of ridiculous Im- implausibilities including the obvious one towards the end but um i feel like paul thomas anderson's world that he creates in there is 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 meant for that whereas in here i i still feel like he's trying to ground things in reality because i mean he, he's sort of portraying racial discrimination i mean and, and it's and it's you know, portrayed as like these individual acts of uh, callousness, you know, and and to me, that's that's not necessarily racism in in, in general. I, I mean, I, I don't think the movie's racism at all. I mean, it is like you know, obviously on the surface, but I, I really looked at the movie as I mean, being that like again, you're in your car, you're in your own little world, and everyone out there is against you so like racism is the language with which they attack each other but really it's it's a bunch of high stress assholes being assholes in the moment and i i i I, really the movie should have been called crash hole or something i don't know because it just it, it really is and it sort of gets at that um la entitlement thing and and I, I really think that yeah. maybe it, that 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 healthcare scene with the black uh, bureaucrat, you know, trying to get through to the HMO, I think that that that's probably a Canadian American, like that that has to be amped up to eleven based on Paul Haggis's public healthcare in Toronto, and like we just don't have these types of problems. So I imagine that was probably jarring to him as a. Like as someone who moved down to the states at whatever age, I, I like I find that every time, like when I watch Breaking Bad or whatever, and and they can't get like that stuff drives me nuts. And then it so first off, it's like everyone is just waiting for the karmic wheel to come around because they're a fucking asshole in the movie, except for Michael Pena, who's mm-hmm. not. He's like yep. a super nice guy. Yeah, he's um, the one yeah. like redeeming character. And uh, and and then. I thought, well, it's 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 as much about class as it is, um, uh, as it is about race. Now, there's obviously huge parts of the United States that's 
you know, the class lines and the race lines can be similar, but I mean, like the two shrillest people in the movie are the um, are the rich people, like the, the like Sandy Newton and and um, Sandra Bullock are 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 by far the true the the, the most shrill like maybe the 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 Iranian guy um but uh um who who was just badly written um like a lot of them are you know whatever but but I found that it was like the I mean and this is not an this is not a um revelation either but you know the further you go up the class lines the more of an ass self-entitled asshole uh you become although I must admit, I, I did like the walk-ons. I really did like some scenes in the movie. I liked Keith David's walk-on. I liked sure. William Fickner's walk-on. Walk on. Like those were yeah. two character actors doing their thing. They weren't, they weren't being like serious issue movies. Those were character actor parts in the movie. And the first part with Ludacris and was like that, but then he doesn't become like that and um and don't even get me started to the ultimate act of of class warfare the the final sequence in 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 crash or the final revelation of of um uh sorry not not don Cheadle's thing but the 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 korean guys smuggling and then ludicrous being Moses. rescue hero like i just oh my lord like i wow i mean when spike lee did it in um Inside Man, like seriously, you're gonna make a heist film about Nazi fucking gold? Um, like really? <laughs> I, I I totally bought it because it was such a trivial detail in in this. But for me, that was my straw that broke the camel's back. My bridge too far. It wasn't um, Sandra Bullock against type or, or overplaying that scene because everything everything is overplayed in this movie. It was like, oh my god, they they went, they even went there, and uh, and the fact that all the Assholes in this movie get sanctified at the end. Just kind of like, why couldn't you just let some of the assholes, yeah, assholes. you know, pay for it? Sure. Like, basically, just punishes the, the the people that think they're nice and um and rewards or redeems the people that are. I I, I don't buy it. I I mean, it's not that I don't buy it. I I, I just find that structure to be so facile and and so un interesting um and that that's where i i sort of come at this movie and i i guess I've, i forgot to say it before but i'll say it now um you can tell musically you know between shortcuts magnolia and this shortcuts gets tom fucking waits magnolia gets amy man crash gets ludicrous <laughs> i mean like that's well now wait a minute there. you talk about character actors Big plus one for any movie that brings Tony Danza into. I was there. I was gonna say now I, I don't <laughs> that that was the moment that completely caught me caught me off guard. I was sitting there going, "What?" Which in you know <laughs> in kind of a way, which was a slightly interesting little story thread too. Kind of blaming mm-hmm. in a way blaming Hollywood in this case, I guess television Hollywood, whatever you want to call that. Which sort of pl- blaming them a little bit for some of the prejudicial attitudes in America. I thought that was kind of interesting, too. Yeah, but, but they also name-checked the Cosby show, so... More, more or less, go. but I, I'm wondering how Tony Danza got that got that part. I don't... Yeah, I know. Has he been anything else? He does a talk show, I think, right? Has he been <laughs> so. in anything else since Who's the Boss? I don't... I, I, I do not think so. Did anybody else catch Jin in there as well? 
Jim yeah, from, from Lost. Lost. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, blink and oh, you'll yeah. miss him. Yep. Um, going back to sort of like unlikable characters or whatever. What I, one thing I thought was interesting: not only class, but also gender. For me, all the women in this film are raving reactionary bitches. Tandy New, like they have reasons for why they're kind of overreacting, but all That's of them are. Drewbaka o three five at gmail dot com. <laughs> are they not? Tandy I'm, Newton, I'm, not, I'm not completely dis- I'm not you, really you you brought it up no, with the I'm Sandra just, Bullock I'm, thing, like Sandra Bullock, Tandy Newton, um, Jennifer Esposito. They are really reactionary. The Asian woman like, that is at the beginning and the end. Of exactly. The film. Um, you, now that said, I enjoy that. I, I love <laughs> like. When Tandy Newton goes off on Terrence Howard when they're in their bedroom after they've had the encounter with the police, sh- Tandy Newton's not a very good actress. That was awesome. That her performance in that scene, pretty much in the whole movie, is fantastic. And I and I disagree with the Sandra Bullock thing too. I, she was awesome. Um, See, but I thought that was interesting. Well, it was more. The, the, what's her name? The the the, the Latino um, police officer that that's fucking. Don Cheadle, Jennifer Esposito. Um, right. Yeah, she she wasn't. She was pretty like she actually. The movie actually had this one moment early on when Don Cheadle gives his like opening like pre like before you even see anyone. It's like the voiceover of God. Um, she's like, "Did you hit your head?" Like it was almost like, "Oh, okay, so we are going to be self-deprecating about this." But you know, yeah, other but- than the, the, there's not a lot of that after that. She seemed to be the. She female. gets really pissed oh, after he crazy. answers the phone when they're having sex. Um, well, granted, even just, even just her opening scene when she's yelling at the Asian woman who can't speak English quite properly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. You know what is she? What is she, she says, "I didn't Blake. I braked." Mm-hmm. So no, she she gets her moment of being shrill as well. The only female character, really, the only two that seem to get off scot free is the uh, the HMO worker. She, you know, she's, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but even she kind of has her little moment in the end. Yeah, it's um, very... the uh, the Persian doctor, the the woman who buys the 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 gun for her father, the the convenience store owner, and she mm. buys the blanks. She's the only one who gets away scot free. Now, and Deanna Troy. That's interesting. Yeah, I just I don't know. I I I feel like the majority of this movie just reduces people to being simple minded and unsympathetic, and they just. <laughs> Con- consistently confront one another and yell and point out these stereotypes and yeah, um, so many so many people are though that's but the don't you find it when they're doing that like the way it's written and the dialogue it's fun mm. well really. it's more fun sense. than Cronenberg's you know crash <laughs> um, I mean it's I guess it's it's to me though like watching these people. You know, it, it feels condescending to me, and some like maybe I'm just yeah. I am looking at it for more, you know, like the sociological standpoint of it, just because maybe I'm you know wired that way to to sort of view this movie as something that's you know trying to not necessarily like instill a message, but just portray how we interact with one another. And to me, this is like I don't feel like. Haggis has empathy for all these characters in the same way that Spike Lee does with Do the Right Thing. Yeah, uh, like I, this I, movie can't lick Do the Right Thing's boots. <laughs> no, not at all. And well, We don't want to go there. Well, to, <laughs> to me, me uh, it felt right like thing. that Crash, the screenplay, not the direction, 
like the, the the visual style, like the movie, like I said, looks good for its five million dollar budget. It looks really good. Is that but all cost? Yeah. Um, how they got all those actors, I guess they, they liked the screenplay. Uh, but um, it feels like a 12 Angry Men, like To Kill a Mockingbird. It, it feels like that, that era of filmmaking where you really did talk, like really lay it out for the audience in the big speechifying, very clean and clear way. I don't Shortcuts of Magnolia never do that. Um, but it feels like an old, very old classic... Hollywood film but I don't know when I watch those films I just turn you know my dial down so that they, they're not overly uh, condescending to me and, and, and I'm not I'm certainly not lumping everything because you know there's like you know Ace in the Hole and Anatomy of Murder which are the furthest thing from earnest preachy they're really claws out and, 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 and very witty and, and, and smart and blackly comic movies but there certainly was a huge chunk of, um, of films uh, you know in the, in, the, in the 40s and 50s that really did go after these really earnest issues in a very easy to digest almost facile way and it feels like Crash was written for that era but made with all the extremes and language and filmmaking of the modern era and that mix maybe that could be interesting I just I didn't find in this particular case that it was interesting you know the one, the one thing actually that I, uh, I I gotta give this film credit for is uh, I, I did a, a thing a little while ago where I talked about there's a lot of films that are set in, in major major cities, period, but major American cities, namely New York, Los Angeles, Chicago, that don't really need to be, that they, they just they pick a big city and it, and it suits their, their need. This is an L.A. story that's very, very much an L.A. story. Like everything from that slightly obvious mention of how in Los Angeles everybody drives, so they have to crash into wanting each other to feel some contact to even just the uh, you know even just the way the races relate in Los Angeles because in Los Angeles you have a very big white population a very big black population a very big Latino population Korean and so on and so on and you don't have that in every very large American city um, or Canadian city and so in that way and in just the way that they interact this is very very much a Los Angeles story no, not necessarily one of the greatest ones, but certainly a very, very good L.A. story. But look at the way um, uh, The Big Lebowski or Jackie Brown or Pulp Fiction handles its sort of melting pot of races in Los Angeles. And it, it certainly doesn't come at it. And I'm not saying that, that this movie should come at it in the same way, but it doesn't. Like, I, I like that it just kind of says, well, that it is what it is and sometimes people don't get along and and there's lots of ways where people bridge and i i don't i didn't buy any of the bridges in this movie uh i bought the bridges less cuz they felt like well the character needs that now uh, i bought that less than i bought the actual frisions um and, and yeah I, I, it has the, it, to me it's like an it, it's like a what a tourist thinks of what la is cuz he watched i don't know <laughs> Colors and and uh, um, you know and, and Blade whatever, <laughs> yeah, Blade Runner. That's right. Um, it's it's really difficult for me to care about their about their plight, even even with Matt Dillon's character. I mean, I just I I feel like 
they have no inner life to them. They just sort of fail, like they they fail to exist independently of whatever stereotype they're they're like on hand to embody or debunk in certain situations. And I, they, I just I keep seeing these characters as being on the surface because that's how they see one another. I, I cared about the locksmith. Like of everybody in this movie, yeah. he was he's the guy I care about because he's the guy who, you know, to look at him you might think a, hey, you know, he just you might have your own presumptions, but the second he starts talking and certainly the way he works, he's very very professional and when you know, you get that one quick moment where he goes home and it's like, you know, this is just an upstanding guy. Like yeah, of of everybody in this movie, he's by far the guy I care about the most. Right? I I at least he's the most um, likable character, I think. Yeah. Especially once he starts interacting with his daughter, who's adorable, by the way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, even just look at okay, like you look at the way he 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 deals with Sandra Bullock in that shrill moment. Now, if that's me, I'm you know I, I'm I'm gonna say I'm gonna say something before I go. I'm not just handing the keys and giving a nod and walking out. It's, you know, sp- right, like, right. especially after all of he that. He says just, more by doing that. Than by saying anything at all. Exactly, exactly, like and like that is that's actually a moment of a well, like a a, a well written character. Mm-hmm. Too bad there's not more of them. But did you did you really buy the exchange between him and the shopkeeper? Um, like the shopkeeper character was just yeah, possibly the un- worst written character. Because un- un- he's beyond unreasonable. Like I, how <laughs> you would. You would pop veins in your head. Like, I know. This character would not make it through the week. Well, like, no. He's but... so shrill. See, the, the problem is I've had conversations like that. I do believe sometimes when you're just not being understood on a fundamental level. I, like, I've had moments like that where professionally where I've had to walk away from a client and send somebody else over because I was just on my last nerve. Because I, like, I was not saying anything incorrect and I wasn't trying to – to screw the person or cheat the person, but there was just something in the way I was speaking that this person just wasn't getting, and yeah, I I, I bought that. I've, I've been in that situation. But did you did you uh, did you equally buy the um like the the big sort of turnaround, the big miracle that everyone gets with the, with the blanks when it when it finally uh, pays off? Did you did you get the fact that that character had to perceive it as an act of God? Um, well, no, like that's that. Then we're getting back into because the, the film is the pretty fucking party. secular. It's pretty secular, except for that character. No, that, that then we're back into the bridge too far. Their their first their first interaction, <laughs> I bought it to to the letter. The second interaction, eh, okay, but no, not as much. Like I, I actually, I, I I was. It's funny. I normally don't. I I'll give. Paul Haggis credit in that he got a rise out of me from that scene and normally like some people after they have children they like children in peril in the movies they, the, those scenes can be harder to watch because I don't know you relate more whatever uh, but I, I generally do not have this problem uh, whether that's pathological or antisocial you can the, the, tell that to my shrink but um, this scene the, the, the fact that he was gonna go there like it just it was just it pissed me off, like because again, it was like fucking um, uh, Hillary Swank and her dog that had to be put down in Million Dollar Baby. Like, but I, I kind of knew something was gonna go on with the invincibility cloak. But then the moment that it like it's all coming together, I'm like, oh, he's not. He's totally gonna go there. Um, 
Yeah, it, it really – he got an emotional reaction out of me because I was really pissed off. Are um, you talking about where he yeah. says the little girl is his angel or, like, the the act when itself? When she runs of... out. I, I, when she runs out, like, to, to take the bullet. Um, I love that scene. Just... Love that scene. <laughs> yeah. That's the yeah, problem, yeah. though. It's like I feel like every everything that plays out, I kind of – I knew that was how it was going to play out. Like, there was – I mean, even the first time I saw it, I was like, "Oh, they're they're blanks," you know. Or really, really. I, I I never thought that. I thought, "Well, look at what he's done so far," and that actually kind of pissed me off. It's like, "Okay, you didn't <laughs> kill the fucking child. What's going yeah. on?" Like, I mean, and and then he pulls, "Oh, oh Matt da- Matt Dillon's the fucking hero now," and, and like he's like, "All the assholes get like get out of jail free cards." Get redemption. That pissed me off. It's like, you know what? You can't be this cynical about post nine eleven. LA and then be this fucking happy that you know everyone is a hero and everyone will get a fucking medal pinned on their chest at the end like that really started to to peeve me off uh, um, it, it, that's why I would like the Michael Haneke um, Lars von Trier because you know that shit would not there would be no punch pulling no um, facile uh for all of its racial epithets and language thrown around, this is the most politically correct movie made about <laughs> racism ever. This is like this movie itself is the ultimate affirmative action movie. Like, and and, it, yeah. and the fact that it goes against everything that the movie's supposed to stand for, it's just offensive on that level. And even it, the role reversal with Ryan Phillippe's character feels completely contrived. That's the In- scene I don't like. Okay. The whole scene like where he picks it... up Lawrence Tate in the in the cold and he gives him a ride and the way they talk to each other is it's like that like they don't really talk to each other. They don't communicate at all, which maybe that's the message of the movie, but like he starts laughing and it's just weird and he doesn't say why he's laughing and then um and Ryan Philippe's character kind of inexplicably just becomes an asshole and that whole exchange that. is just weird and doesn't fit with the rest of the movie. Um, sorry. Going just going back a second to the like the Matt Dillon, uh, saving saving Grace moment where he saves Dandy Newton from the burning car. It hadn't really occurred to me until now, but in terms of like pulling punches, first of all, I I really like that scene, especially on first watch. I you know it's awesome that her reaction. She would rather burn to death in that car than have him ever touch her again. Um. And, and the scene is played out really well. Um, that said, so he rescues her. I think now, just this is just occurring to me now, when you talk about pulling punches, it might have been really interesting if everything had played out the same, except for he wasn't able to save her. That yeah. she, she ended up Deal staying that, in the car bitch. and burning. To... <laughs> like, and I don't mean bitch Thandie Newton. I mean Matt Dillon. Deal with now. Look at yeah, that. Exactly. You know? like, no one gets yeah. to feel guilty. Like, you know, no one gets to really feel guilty. They get yeah. to feel a, a little bit guilty, but know that ultimately they're a better person. Yeah. Uh, they don't get to, like, really feel lost. <laughs> I agree. That's kind of interesting. Yeah. That's interesting. I still like the scene, but. Except for Don Cheadle and his mom. Um, yeah. I, I guess Don Cheadle, because he's Don Cheadle and he's so freaking good as an actor, I think his actual thread, I mean, he gets the opening and closing, but his thread feels like it has the most weight. And if you go back to the class thing, it's like, oh, he pulled himself up out of the, you know, 
uh, black ghetto family that 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 he came out of, and the, his mother's actually, interestingly, like pissed off that he was successful. He's like, "Why aren't you suffering with us in the low class zone? You actually pulled yourself up to detective." I mean, he even says, "I'm banging a white woman" when he's, um, <laughs> you know, and, and 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 like it's like this is obviously an issue between him and his mother, and that's that's the only character Don Cheadle's character is the only character that feels like he has a life outside of the screenplay, and um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, it, 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 again, if you if you knocked out Brendan Fraser and and Sandra Bullock, which really don't have any place or any function in the movie anyway, um, like there's just a few characters that could have just gone and made it more like with Don Cheadle being like the main thread that ties everyone together because he is plot wise the main thread, um, mm-hmm. like the the story's opening closing bracket and 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 you know everyone ultimately is culpable in how far things get to where Lawrence Tate is he the only character that dies in the movie? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. So if you argue he's the sacrificial lamb of all the crimes of hate and racism or whatever, everyone's culpable in the confusion that leads to his death or whatever. They could have made that as an interesting through line rather than as Andrew says, like a bunch of these little uh, morality, micro morality plays, or whatever they are, um, and and then maybe you'd have something to actually grab onto because I do think that Don Cheadle. I, I, it's funny because when he when he uh, uh, what what is it, he compromises himself for the sake of his career um, when he's leaving, he has this just badass. He looks just like um, uh, Snoopy from from out of sight he, he's walking away and he's got this sort of gang tough hard ass strut to him and normally he's a very empathic character and, and at first I thought oh well Don Cheadle just overplayed that scene but then the more I think about it the, the more I wish that Crash was just Don Cheadle um, that, that, that's my only way mentally I can well, let's know, face go it. through the exercise all movies should be a little bit more Don Cheadle yeah, to be go. honest yeah for sure no, I just I I also don't like I I don't know I mean I've it you know on one hand it's I, the the idea of like you know the the Ryan Philippi is like the character you you know hope that you know isn't going to be corrupted and then he winds up you know being the w- one character who you know kills Lawrence Tate and that whole contrivance I think is kind of. Uh, reflective of how this this movie seems to play out with a lot of these characters i mean at least that scene with with matt dillon and and thandy newton works as an individual scene that you know i'm i was still emotionally affected by like i even though i know how it was going to play out i mean i even like i liked the score i liked how i mean i knew it was a little bombastic but i still liked it um but there's just these individual moments and I, I would have liked to have seen something more streamlined. And, and the fact that it sort of takes its central, you know, uh, device from Amoris Peros, which, yes, you know, yes, again, right. is, yeah, yeah, car crash. And I, it doesn't really bring anything new to the table. And that's how I felt the first time I saw it. And in, in a way, I like I'm just going back to the, uh, the, the feeling I get from this movie is condescending and not at all empathic. Especially, I like I I read a couple of things online about how 
the way Asians are portrayed in this movie, and that to me is um, questionable. <laughs> like how, um, especially I like just towards the end, and you know, having you know the that Asian character like stare into the DVD store in awe of like, oh, this is why I'm in America. <laughs> I don't <laughs> like that. That moment rings false. Like so many things in this movie ring false, and you know, especially as we've pointed out, the uh, the assholes have their moment of redemption, whereas in something like Magnolia, the the assholes get punishment. You know, thinking of, of Philip Baker Hall's character, especially. Um, I yeah, I just I I think Paul Haggis is this this whole screenplay is clunky to me. And I don't know. I, I try to find redeeming qualities in everything I see, and there are definitely things in this movie I like. But overall, it's yeah. Any other final thoughts? Um, I will. Re- my final thought, I guess, to retort to a little bit of what you said about not bringing anything new to the table. I, I I'm the complete opposite. I, I find the movie completely different than any other like it or hate it I find this very different from any other I'll give it credit that it has the good sense to not drag it out to three hours like it's it's like a hundred minutes unlike shortcuts right well all the other big ones Magnolia they're all like three because you got so many characters but of course that also you know you get more time spent with them right Uh, and you know, to me, I think this movie is like an hour and forty-five minutes or something. I think it goes really fast for me. Again, just I suppose when you enjoy it, things go quickly. Um, and I, I also completely disagree of the the clunkiness. I think, I think the way everything's tied together and the foresight that it has um, is, I don't, I wouldn't go so far as to say it's smart. But I like the way that it, it ties together. I like the idea of the blanks being bought right in the beginning, and then how it's how the cloak is the invisible cloak is tied into the whole thing, and he uh, just the whole interaction between Dylan and Tandy Newton, like the way those two characters progress through the film, and how it all ties together. I don't think it's clunky at all. I think it's really smooth, actually. But that's just me. So now, I since I would Paul Haggis comes from TV. Would you and, and since this thing has like a multi-threaded aspect already, and it became a TV Crash show. would would be better as a TV show. Like, would it work better as a? It is, isn't it? Long form. Yeah, I was gonna say they turned it into a TV show. Oh, they did. Yeah, yeah. it failed. With Dennis or? Hopper. Don, Dennis Hopper was in it, I think. Yeah. Oh, like so it wasn't the same character. Obviously, the actors are all busy, but um, like it's hard to nail that down um but i've never seen so they it. they rewrote it like a crash like same idea all new actors multi yeah i don't think i don't think it did particularly well but i i see what you're saying this format is a little bit better suited for tv this yeah, idea of all that... of all these threads and so on mm-hmm. yeah the, i mean that's what on... tv is now right like yeah, all it... of the hbo amc uh, you know, Mad Men, Breaking Bad, these shows, that's what they are. They, they, and they have a lot more time. Like, they still, all these shows still tend to often talk to the camera, um, you know, talk to you yeah, to get the point across. But, but it, you have so much longer, so you don't feel like, you know, you feel like you could at least understand um, a little bit more why uh, Sandra Bullock is a shrill. You know, uptight. I'm always unhappy. 
you know, bitch beyond just the fact that she tells you that <laughs> over the phone. Um, Jim, any, do you want to star rate it? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm just really quickly, really, I mean, Andrew, do you, do, do you feel like, you know, the coincidences that sort of play out, they're, they're, they're just there to serve as a story element rather than just making a point? Because, like, to me, when, you know, Thandi Newton and Matt Dillon meet up together again, that is like to to sort of prove this point that oh well Matt Dillon isn't such a bad guy after all look and you know to to me that kind of again it just doesn't feel like you know organic it just it, I mean I, I, on one hand you can sort of get into that because it's you know melodramatic and that's just the the, the approach that Haggis has to his storytelling but to me I feel like he's constantly trying to do that you know, ha- make a point, have not necessarily a message or an overarching theme, but something that just rubs me the wrong way in the end. So you're asking you're, me, like, it, it's the, the coincidence, the way the story yeah, ties together? like those, those moments, they don't, they don't feel like they're ridiculously contrived and they're trying to just serve... As a you know, as as a way, as an outlet for a message. See, but that specific one though, I actually I buy that because, like, just kind of thinking of it logically, he's a cop. He's a cop on a beat, right? So sure. we we know we know that she like between between her home and and the studio where uh, where Terrence Howard works, like we know that that is in in his division of the city. So the fact that he runs into her once when they're going from A to B, and that he runs into her again when he happens upon the situation. I I I I do actually buy that. I, I I it's it's hard to kind of explain why. It's just it's the same way that you know I I see the same twenty people on the streetcar in the morning because we all happen to be on that corner at twenty after eight. If I'm there at eight thirty or if I'm at there at ten past, I never see these people. But because I'm always there at that time, and so are they. It's it's just the circle and the and the schedule that you run. So I, I do buy that little one. I, I buy that. I buy that the coincidental of he's he's in that part of the city because it's his part. It's his neighborhood. It's not you know if he was completely on the other ass end of town, I might not buy it. Okay. Yeah, and I mean, I'd also just I, I agree with that, and also it's a movie. Like, well, there's that. Yeah, I mean, co- you could say that coincidental, thi- coincidental thing about almost any film, really. Well, and um, clearly like all the coincidences, because I mean, it's the design of the movie. So, um, like, if you said we're gonna take all the coincidences out of this movie, you, you don't have a movie. Like the, you know, you can argue whether it's a good movie or not, but if you unravel the, the every every character seems to have. Like two encounter, almost every one of the major things, it's a paired encounter. You have one encounter, and then you have the second encounter. And if you took the second encounter out, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if it would be subtle, better storytelling, but it, it wouldn't. It would be maybe too loose for a ninety or a hundred minute movie. If again, if it was long form TV, you could do it that way, but not not in a not in a a single feature. Yeah, I guess just my issue is that it felt like it every coincidence or every encounter later in the movie came with like 
kind of Haggis's agenda, um, or just at least to have oh this irony attached to it. Um, whereas, I mean, I'm not like, I'm not saying that the film has to be realistic or like you know I, I've brought up the fact that I want things you know to play out organically. That's not the case with with every movie because I like melodrama, I like Magnolia, but uh, just everything just never felt like it was there for the for the characters or it was just there to tell you know to to relay some sort of issue i don't know so have have any has anyone here seen um nothing is private or uh, towelhead no 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 one no one has seen it like cuz as as you can say that haggis is clearly taking his thing and saying yeah you know i like what robert altman and 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 pt anderson were doing i i want to make my movie um you you have to watch it's alan ball so it's another tv guy moving into his directorial debut um and you have to you really have to see that movie because it makes crash look positively restrained um <laughs> Yeah, like, I mean, it has, like, people running over cats and pregnant women falling on their stomachs. And it's like, as much as you want to, like, be angry at a movie like Crash, it ain't even near the fucking bottom of bad storytelling. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, um, so I, 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 I might, like, to get back to the, the star rating that sort of set us on down all these roads, I mean, for me, it's like a, you know, two, one and a half out of five. Like, it, it's... It's not irredeemably. It, technically, it's a it's a pretty for a directorial debut. I don't know who he had uh, doing the cinematography or whatever, but it, it it's a fairly nice looking movie, and it, it certainly is able to tell its story um, and not feel like static or or, or it, it's just. The, the craft side of the movie, the, the the technical polish is pretty high, and I, I kind of at least that was something. Like when Terrence Howard is, you know, comes across the car fire of Ryan Philippe's car, um, like that scene is like visually beautifully beautiful. The, uh, the, the snow, the, the scene, the scene where he pulls Andy Newton from the car, actually, it's it that's really really well shot. Yeah, re- arguably the film's only real action sequence. Um, uh, you know, and that 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 action it's it's staged exceptionally, exceptionally well. Yeah, he got uh, the the guy who shot it is um, he's Jim Cameron's guy, a guy named uh, J. Michael Murrow. So he shot Titanic, he shot The Abyss, he shot uh, Terminator Two, uh, Miami Vice, which I know you like, Kurt, and so yep. do I. I shouldn't say you like. He's also he shot high grain, like uh, Miami Vice. I mean Miami Vice Digital, but um, yeah. but it, this I don't know. Maybe maybe I don't think Crash is digital, but um, it, it it definitely has a high grain. Yeah, he this guy he worked on Heat, L.A. Confidential. He's he's shot. Well, he likes the, L.A. He shot he, it the yeah. shit out of L.A. Yeah, the yeah. inside the insider. He's he shot a real a lot of really really handsome movies. Well, credit to him because I, I mean uh, one thing I'll say about Crash is that it for the most part it almost always looks good. Yeah, yeah, I'll give it that. I mean. The characters, like I said, they're they're sort of portrayed as either victimized angels or bigoted demons, and then they can become redeemable. Yep. And I don't know, like like I said, I I just feel even when the snow starts falling, just, I'd rather just take the frogs 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'll even go. I'll even go with you on that one. I, I like Magnolia like even, a lot better. Uh, yeah, but even the song that's playing as the snow is falling, it's very Amy it's Man. It's very Amy to Man. No. Totally. Um, so, and, and well, putting I, I, care- I do have to ask one last question before we wrap this up, and this question is actually for Andrew. Did this conversation go the way you thought it was going to go? No, you guys are really not quite as harsh on it as I thought you were going to be. <laughs> Even though you're, we're looking at one, one and a half stars, I don't know. I'm surprised that. But to tie it all back to the beginning is this movie would have been more or less ignored. It would be like, you know, um, Fight Club meets Bottle Shock. Like, it was just kind of whatever, ignored movie, because like, by my most people, had it not been legitimized whatever that word means when you're talking about Academy Awards. That uh, someone, no. someone said it earlier, that's what set everyone onto this movie. It would have been a, a movie that, you know, whatever people were either dismissive of it or, you know, no one would ever talk about it again if it yeah, didn't it win like awards. People would have watched it. They would have felt better because, oh my god, it, it shows me that people are complex. You know, like, you know, they, everyone has two sides. Like, for someone that doesn't want to think too hard about a movie, they felt like they saw something deep. They felt like they're a better person. Like, someone else said that particular phrase earlier. And and then they would move on and actually forget about the movie. <laughs> and, and it would, because the movie's ultimately, for me, is pretty forgettable after it. Now that I look, I look at a movie like Babel, which actually was weird, because it kind of got the same sort of anger for it being nominated for an Academy Award, and it seems there's a lot of people that do not like Babel and the way it's told. And I think that movie is friggin' amazing. I really, really love that movie, um, and I, I still think that that movie's interesting to me to watch, and people can watch it now, and it, you know, it's still worthy of conversation. Whereas Crash. Outside of the Academy Award, people would have just, uh, you know, they would have looked at the, the car wreck <laughs> and then drove on and went about their day. Yeah, possibly. I mean, putting the character, uh, the actual characters aside, it's not really a bad performance in the whole thing. I mean, it's full of a bunch, it's chock full of amazing performances. I mean, okay, Brandon Fraser, yeah. he kind of, yeah, I mean, he's kind of a Nick Cage type of actor I think you you like him for his sort of goofiness maybe or maybe you hate him for it but outside of him I mean you, I don't really see any arguments for any bad performances in the entire film even from small hey, side characters they, they treat that screenplay and give it way more way more than it deserves like if you had if everyone just did it for a paycheck if this was a 140 million dollar movie and everyone was just on board for the paycheck, this movie would be a hundred times worse. It was the fact that, for whatever reason, all these actors were passionate to work on this movie for no money that makes it a little bit better <laughs> than it may have been. All right. Well, it, it still gets a 1.5 from me. Ouch. I uh, I give this one uh, my I would give it a, out of five I'd give it two and a half which is my way of saying I didn't completely dig it but I can see how other people would yeah. four and a half wow high praise all right um, <laughs> you, yeah exactly it's in I love it um, all right well, we'll, well some agreeing when we talk Soderbergh I'm sure oh yes <laughs> I'm looking forward to that on Sunday shameless plug check out the directors club podcast well that's when we're recording. 
Sure. Um, for this particular show, the Movie Club, uh, next episode, whenever that may be, probably early January after Christmas has died down and whatnot, uh, I believe that what we've decided on tackling is Veeam Wenders' Paris, Texas from 1984, uh, which I've never seen, and this is going to be fun, along the same lines, I think, as Lady in the Water was fun, Mm -hmm. Uh, Richard Kelly's Southland Tales from a few years ago. I'm I'm excited for that one. Me too. Me too. I'm looking forward to revisiting it. um, I'm looking forward to see if there's any possible, because it's been so many years since I've seen Paris, Texas, I might as well have not seen it. Um... I'm just looking forward to see if there's any possible connection between these movies because I don't know. You never know. You, you pair movies up and you see things, but um, it, it happens, yeah. doesn't it? No matter, almost no matter what you pick, <laughs> it happens there's some no kind matter of... what. This this to me is like a gauntlet throwing challenge. I dare you <laughs> find similarities between these two. So I guess that's going to do it for this episode. Um, thank you for everybody who's downloaded the show and. Um, at movieclubpodcast.com it's a it's a blogger site you can definitely leave your thoughts in the comment section on uh, on what you uh, what you think of, of the films we've discussed and uh, I guess we'll just go around the room one more time I'm Andrew James from row3.com I am Jim Laskowski from directorsclubpodcast.com I'm Kurt from row3 as well and Twitch Film and I'm Ryan from the matinee.ca and the matinee cast. And so for all those cats, uh, this has been episode number 23 of the Movie Club Podcast. We'll catch you next time down the road. Cheers. Bye. <laughs>